production. I'm glad you're doing the research because I'm not quite there. Yeah, I'm going to have to. Shut up. The podcast is starting. There you go, man. (laughs) Hello, everyone. (laughs) I don't know why I waited. Uh, Welcome to another episode of Celluloid Breakdown. I'm Joey Bonnier. Next to me, Sean Faw. Across the table is Tim Snow. Yeah, it's me. Not permanent guest. Old no. Just I'm, a, Tim I'm an Snow. official. I'm an official member of the podcast now. Upgrade. Yeah, you've been oh, promoted wow. in the oh, big wow. boy chair, seat number two. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm better. Tr- I've finally assumed Derek's position. Mm-hmm. I've usurped him. Yep. Yep. You no, swallowed his soul. No longer present. It's unfortunate, but we have to move on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we need to make room for guests. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to uh, keep the train rolling. Yeah. And we all, you know, Derek's better as a as a listener. Well, <laughs> I was going to make some crack about visit him at Forest Lawn, but Jesus. <laughs> wow. Okay. Derek, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so this week we watched The General with Buster Keaton. Yeah. Yep. We saved some time. Please clap. It was a short one. Yeah. It deserves the applause, though. Yeah. No. Yeah. Also does, does deserve the applause. Yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, let's go right into it. Sean, give us this short little breakdown of the plot and story of this film. Um, it is pretty short. So we got a dude. Um, it's the Civil War. It's black and white times. Uh, it's no sound <laughs> times. <laughs> um, so he is a railroad operator, a uh, train driver, a engineer. And uh, we are introduced to him and his two loves, which are his train, of course, and his lovely, lovely, which I don't know that she ever gets a name really, yeah. but yeah. Wow. Um, you know, the love interest, quote unquote. I really can't think um, of her name. But yeah, he uh, gets off work and goes home to see his lovely, lovely. And uh, turns out war is breaking out and her brother and her father apparently are going to war. And she's all like, hey, I can't be with you unless you're wearing a uniform, which is just kind of weird. Um, Annabelle Lee, that's her name. She has a name in there? I guess so. At least in the credits. That's not the actress's name? That's the actual character's name? No, that's the the character's name. Actress's name is Marin something. Marion Mack. Marion Mack. So, Mr. Uh, uh, Buster Keaton, the general himself, uh, well, not the general himself. He isn't the general at all. He's never the general. Spoiler alert. Um, It's the lieutenant. But lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, he goes to try and register to uh, join the uh, rebel army, as it were, um, under the uh, 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 Confederate banner there. Uh, we'll kind of leave that to the side for now. And uh, so he's trying to join the army and uh, they ask him what his name is. And then they ask him what he does. And he says, hey, I drive a railroad. And they say, wait a minute. You're well, actually, he goes back and talks to his boss and his boss says, hey, we can't take this dude because railroads are way too important. So we need you in as, as an engineer. Well, that's the thing, though. They never actually tell Buster Keaton's character that he needs they need him as an engineer. Oh, so that's right. like the whole problem. Yeah, like, that guy's a real piece of shit. Kind of. Yeah. They that. just like come back and say, hey, like, we no. can't use you. Yes. <laughs> <Scram>. Go away. <laughs> exactly. Screw. Basically. Yeah. Something yeah, like that. Yeah. It's also like the army has engineers. That doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah. Army engineers is not a fucking train engineer, man. Um, well, I, <laughs> no, I'm yeah, yeah, totally. I'm, I'm saying it. he could do both. <laughs> yeah. He can, and he can drive a train for his country. 
Um, I think all trains were for the country at that time, though. So it was, uh, uh, I mean, this is all based on a true story. So it is yeah. legitimate. Um, that's the only reason it actually works. Uh, but beyond that, so he goes to register. Dude tells him he can't register. And he goes over to try and sulk. He tries to register a few more times, does some sneaky little trickery. Um, but they keep finding out and telling him he just can't be in the army. And he thinks it's because of his faults. He thinks it's because, you know, he's a small guy or, you know, kind of plays it off. So he finally takes that and wanders away. As he's wandering away, the love interest father and brother are in line and they're like, hey, come on over, join the army. We're all going to the army, join us. And he's like, nope, I can't. And he just walks the other direction. So they go back and tell the lady friend that uh, he's basically a coward and wouldn't join. Uh, and none of them know the reason behind it. Anyways, uh, fast forward to him getting kind of dumped by his lady friend. And while he's sulking, uh, some northerners, those sneaky bastards, come down and steal his other love, the general, his train. Uh, so as they are making away with his train, he starts running after it and then catches up to some other southern soldiers with another train and convinces them to go pursue the his general that is being stolen and uh, hijinks ensue from there essentially. Um, it becomes a chase film and uh, uh, a lot of gags and a lot of back and forth until he is finally across enemy lines. He is tracking... I'm not exactly sure why he got off the train into that house when he's across enemy lines. That didn't quite make a whole lot of sense to me. But somehow he ends up in a house. Yeah, I that, think he sensed there was there was guys ahead, and he kind of wanted to. Hide oh, I think he just ran into that house randomly to grab food, and it happened to be the house that the, like the other the northern army was taking up post in. Okay. So they come home and they have in tow his lady friend who happened to be hiding in the back of the train that they had stolen. Uh, so he has to free his lady friend. He does that, a uh, little bit of shenanigans in and out there. Uh, but beyond that, they do escape. And as they're escaping, uh, they run into the Southern Army, which is getting ready to wage a battle against the Northern Army and a large battle across a uh, over a river or across a bridge over a river uh, take, takes place. Um, more shenanigans ensue and our general friend gets away with his lady friend and they get back to their home city and in uh, with his lovely train. Um, all the while there is a passed out, uh, we'll say, higher up soldier on the train the whole time that finally comes to. And luckily enough, our hero is able to hold him at gunpoint, bring him back to the uh, Southern soldiers and basically becomes appointed as a Lieutenant gets his lady friend and happily ever after. Yes. Happily ever after <laughs> as he salutes and kisses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything uh, worked out well for the Southern army. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a nice transition, Sean. Mm -hmm. um, this whole movie is the perspective of the South, of the mm -hmm. Confederacy. Um, well, I mean, that totally, you know, subverts the story to me because you, you, the music changes, the, the points of view changes, everything changes. The cinematography, I'm sure, changes. I'm sure you were looking at it like differently like that. Even just some of those shots where you see the heroes kind of creep up and I'm like, oh, yeah, the heroes got him. I'm like, oh, wait, it's the Confederate army I'm cheering. Mm-hmm doing yeah yeah so, uh, yeah it's a it's, it's an interesting interesting story. that the story that it's based on uh the union army was the one that commandeered the 
train and all that. Right. Uh, so from, that's what they did in this. One, from right? my understanding, it was the the story was just Wait. told from the perspective of the Union Army. So he just didn't think that the, the Confederate uh, Army. Man. No, no. Oh. That the story was told. The actual original book. This oh, all yes, happened the correct. way that I'm it sorry, happened. Yes. But the original book was told from the perspective of the Union Army. But Buster Keaton didn't really think that that would be uh, lend to a sympathetic character if we were following this guy and he was the one that was you know with the villains so he just kind of made the southern army the heroes of the story because it was a better storytelling device as right. far as i could tell i mean it's not that crazy yeah. i mean in gettysburg honestly they focus a lot i mean in, in not, not just it's based on the book by michael shar the killer angels but in the movie gettysburg they focus a lot on uh, robert e lee because he's a very uh, compelling character yeah. uh, in the south is the underdog you know so it is compelling in in a general storytelling sense I think. Well, I mean, from my understanding, Lee wasn't even really too much for the cause, more so as he was just like a really good gun for hire kind of thing. Mm, that's kind okay. of a misnomer. Totally different uh, podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he he was he was cool with it. I mean, his army right when they would invade would um would take soldiers and and, and you know free black men and, and I'm sorry I said soldiers uh, free black men and and make conscription them, send them back down south too. Oh, gotcha. Well, even worse. Really crazy. Plus, he had his own slaves. He had yeah. like 100 slaves. Who didn't? Well, a lot of the Southern <laughs> soldiers. Uh, no, no, actually, most of them didn't. Uh, uh, okay, so, Timmer. Yar. What do you think about this uh, story overall? You know, I mean, as a, just an adap adaptation from history, is it too Hollywoodized? Is it, uh, is it a good kind of... It was, like, honestly, this was way more entertaining than I expected it to be. Okay. It was, uh, so, it... It had a timeless kind of a uh, uh, aspect to the uh, <sighs> stunts and the action and stuff. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. like uh, the, the shit that they did in this was crazy. Uh, and so I, I, uh, well, I mean, to me, the photo that he gives his girlfriend of him in front of the train is just the fucking. I mean, it is just like a, a meme that you would see today. It looks like yeah. it's fucking just, you know, some stupid Photoshop. But like, that's just kind of, I think the biggest joy in this movie is just constantly reminding ourselves that like, none of this is fake. Everything on this screen that we're yeah. watching is actually fucking happening. And when he's doing this shit, he's putting himself in constant peril. Like yeah. the stunts that did work, he like, if they didn't work perfectly, he would be dead. Uh, there is. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, there, there's the classic scene. There's the, a couple of them that are. We, yeah, yeah. The, there's the two big classic scenes are like two of the most dangerous that he just happened to pull. Well, I don't know about happened to pull off, but it was definitely lucky that nothing didn't go wrong. Um, but one that is the one that's always talked about is him riding the cow pusher and you know With trying the log? to yeah trying to get the log or the railroad ties out of the railroad tracks before the train hits. And if he hadn't done everything exactly in time that train would have derailed right. and, you know. He's done. He, yeah, exactly. But the other one that people don't really think about is when he's sitting on the railroad or sitting on the the edge of the, the railroad, um, on the, the, the engine. So when he's um, next to the wheels sitting on the engine, he's going up and down. Right. That sort of very classic scene. Earlier in the movie, you see what happens when the wheels spin. 
So sometimes the wheels don't grab right away and the wheels spin really quickly. Yeah. And so if that had happened, he literally would have just been thrown to his death. Whoa. But, it, you know, it's just kind of like since they, you know, they were lucky enough to control it properly, yeah. that didn't happen to Powered happen. Powered the track or whatever. Yeah. Um, Tim, what do you think about, like, the characters in this movie as far as, like, connecting to them? Obviously, it's it's made up of stunts. I mean, that's not quite. I can't quite say that, but it's a series of stunts with Yeah, I mean, it's an, extended, of- it's an extended sketch comedy, you know, okay. in silent film. And uh, the characters were, I mean, the only real character was uh, Buster Keaton. Everybody else was just kind of a caricature, yeah. you know? Which is funny because um, he is a caricature but like there he's is just, weirdly he's depth just to great that. deadpan yeah he's you know? multi-dimensional i mean yeah. he's he's homer simpson and he's also the most athletic human being yeah on the planet. he's True. great deadpan and also yeah he's just an amazing stunt and parkour guy yeah, yeah he's I don't know what the deal is. I mean, how he's so good. I mean, I know what the deal is. He's he's vaudevillian, and that's mm. and he comes from that style. And basically, when he was young, he was like the Mozart of vaudeville. Mm-hmm. He was enlisted into his family, and he had to do all these. But some of the stuff he was son. doing on the tram was just crazy. But yeah, but this is the work of a master. That's the yeah. thing is. Mm-hmm. So he started when he was like thirteen and doing pratfalls yeah, and yeah. learned how to fall. He said that was the toughest thing to do. But when he learned how to do that, he could do almost anything. And hmm. and uh, and that led to all of his stuff. And this was one of his later films, actually. This is nineteen twenty six. I think he started in the earlier twenties. So at this point, he was one take. You know, if I can't do it in one take, it's not going to be done. That kind of thing. So he was a master, and he knew what he could do. But that's not to say that he didn't get injured. Oh, for sure. Uh, he and many other <laughs> yeah. people got injured in the making of this movie. Um, one of the ones I know about that I kind of pointed to you guys to remember when we were watching this was there's a scene where he is, uh, towards the beginning, he's tra- chasing train to tra- There's a chain trace. He sticks his head out of the window of his train as the water gushes out of the water tower. Supposed to be something, you know, just inane. They didn't really think about it. It was supposed to just be a quick gag. Move on with your life. That was the one that caused him a concussion. Mm. That was the one that did. They didn't and they didn't estimate the or they didn't even think about the power of that much water being forced out directly into his head. So apparently that did like more damage than just about anything else on there. That one thing that they like really didn't consider at all. It makes sense. I mean, especially I've been watching a lot of Jackass lately. <laughs> I don't know why, but it is some of those more innocuous stunts that yep. kind of get them. You know, it's not the ones where you know the bull actually runs at him. No, he's just kind of like driving the golf cart and happened to flip and hit his neck. You know, yeah. that's the more dangerous shit. So, I, it is surprising to me that these, the, not just the luck of these guys, but they're. Uh, I don't know. I, I know they feel fear. That's the thing is that mm-hmm. are, they're not that guy from free solo. You know, they're not uh, that guy who's doesn't feel fear. Yeah, yeah. I think they're just, they put it away. They comp- compartmentalize yeah. it and they're able to well, just it's, it's also, do their job. Yeah. It's practice though too. I mean, for it's sure. Just, for him, yeah, Buster Keaton, for sure. Exactly. But, you know, the more you do it, the easier it becomes and the more confident yeah. you get doing it. Like the motives differ for yeah, jackass I think I, I, and yeah. Keaton, I'm trying to make a comparison to jackass. It's not, uh, it's not quite easy, but I mean, like, I know it's a horrible comparison, but like even just thinking back to being a child and the playgrounds that we used to play on and like the sketchiness of those playgrounds. I remember my grade school playground was like a huge slide that was shaped like a rocket that had like three levels to it that you could climb up on concrete. 
there was, you know, we didn't have any sort of like, you know, race or anything like, you know, they subsequently tore that down because, you know, lots of children got hurt, but that's, you know, we didn't think about that. And I think that's kind of the mentality. Like once you, you just kind of keep doing that and you're like, you just think of that as the next thing. You almost think of yourself as indestructible at a certain point. It's not like, it's not that you don't have fear. It's just that you, I guess, don't, you've done something so much that you just get comfortable with that. I agree. Um, do you think there's a year, Sean, where we kind of crossed that line where we went from uh, outlawing all these things, for instance, like lawn darts? Oh. Is, is there a year in like the 90s where we kind of said, we have to stop, you know, we have to put some laws on these amusement parks? Well, I think that kind of thing. if we're talking about um, uh, society, it's just a slow burn. Um, as far as movies are concerned, though, we can definitely point to the Twilight Zone as being a huge change in the way that people take care, take into account stunts and working with things. Like after the Twilight Zone, there, the film, the movie, the movie, the Twilight Zone. Yeah, uh, there, no one worked with live helicopters for years. Um, it, I think it was like two decades before someone used a live helicopter. What in a happened shot. on that? Oh, the the Twilight Zone story is like one of the the worst accidents in filmmaking history. Um, this is there was a scene that was happening where there it was supposed to be taking place in Vietnam, and I can't remember the actor's name, but he was supposed to be carrying two children out of a uh, village that was being bombed and across a river while uh, helicopters were flying over, bombing the village behind him. Um, basically, what happened was that as the helicopters were coming in, you could. Uh, fucking hear um uh oh god what's the director's name oh you could john landis you could hear this motherfucker on the goddamn megaphone saying lower lower get those helicopters lower and as the helicopter gets lower the explosion that was in the water that was supposed to just be going off around them Mm -hmm. was enough to uh to disturb the air around the the rotor blade of the helicopter and it tip the helicopter directly into the actor and the two children he was carrying. They all died. They got decapitated, pieces everywhere. I mean, if you really want to find the shit, you can find the videos. It's gruesome. I don't recommend you look for it. Oh my but God. it is that's horrifying. Video. Yeah. Jesus. I mean, it's it was a movie. They were rolling on it. Like that, it exists. <laughs> it's, You're right. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so after that, it was about two decades before anyone used a live helicopter. Um, it was all like green screen, blue screen, all sorts of, you know, uh, background effects until then. I think it was James Cameron that first started using helicopters again, but I could be wrong on that. I'd have to look that up. Uh, the actor's name was Vic Morrow. By there you way. go. Um, that's an awful story. I, I, I actually, You're welcome. I know, yeah, wow. I, I think it's a good story to tell because it's like a foundational film story and it, you, you, it, you're right, film changed after that. And definitely for us in the film industry, I definitely treat that as like, we have to learn about that and respect that so much because- Yeah, I think the biggest one after that as far as like in my film career has been Sarah Jones. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the other yeah, flashpoint I would say. Yeah. Uh, at least a modern, more modern example. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's what can go wrong. I mean, and that's what Buster Keaton was risking, yeah. honestly. He, mm-hmm. he knew that if he didn't, you know, hit that log at that moment, that train is flipping. I'm not sure, though. Like, I feel like it well, wasn't maybe, taken as seriously back then, though. I feel like, you know, that stuff just, I, honestly, I kind of feel like human life was not taken as seriously back then. Like, Well, this was 26. That was after World War One, right? After World but War One, Before World War Two, Also, flu epidemic. Don't mm-hmm. forget, it was horrible. Um, 
you know, and then, you know, we didn't have really have, speaking of antibiotics we were talking about earlier, I think mm. barely they had penicillin. So yeah. people dying of TB and all these horrible things. And, you know, anyways, uh, not a great time. Yeah. 1920s. Either Movies way. are fun, folks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what, what did you think of Buster Keaton as an actor, Tim? Uh, like, you know, his facial expressions. I mean, obviously we don't have I mean, dialogue. he just had a great deadpan, you know? He had a great deadpan and he was present. It was all physical comedy for me. Um, so that's a lot of what uh, silent films are, in my opinion, is just being present and like playing whatever caricature. How does this compare to other, other silent films you've seen? <clears throat> uh, Have you seen a lot? I've seen a few. I've mm. seen a few Charlie Chaplin. I don't know movies. that I've ever seen an entire silent movie. Like I'm, really? I, I've seen, you, you know. You haven't seen like Modern Times? No. Is that Woody Allen? No, that's Charlie Chaplin. I think. Yes. Oh, gotcha. Um, I, well, no, I'm sorry. No. I thought that, but either way, <laughs> I'm not that smart. It's like um, that's not a smart allegory. Thing. But no, I mean, I've seen clips and like I've seen pieces of a lot of silent films, but um, you know, I I can't really name any other silent movies that I've actually sat uh, down and M, watched. Metropolis. Yeah, and I've seen clips, I've seen pieces, I've seen enough to know what's going on, but I've never actually sat down and watched it. Those are okay. I um. I think they're they're pretty good. I, I enjoyed those. I haven't seen many, mm. but I would say this is the first one where I really I can remember watching from front to back. And, yeah, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, I, it was a different watch experience. We were talking, I think, a bit more, and I mm-hmm. was talking a bit more. Maybe that was bothering you, Tim. No. Was, was that bothering you? No, not at all. Okay. Was the exper- Was the the movie different than you expected? The, like, was the experience of watching a silent movie different than you expected? Yeah, it was. Um, the music was unbelievable. Mm. Um, and it allowed me to really pay attention to the music more than I usually do, which is a delight for me, you know, <laughs> especially when the music, when the music's good, it's good. It's, it's not true. It's, it can be bad, but, um, and, um, it allowed me to really focus on him as a character. Like you said, his deadpan expressions, his, mm-hmm. you know, just his body language. It kind of let me analyze it a little more. And I like that. I like mm-hmm. that. You know, it kind of just, it took one thing away. It almost like, you know, honestly, it sounds really cheesy, like, like a deaf person, you yeah. know, and then your other senses are more heightened. Well, yeah. And like his deadpan almost allows for interpretation with a lot of like the physical comedy, comedy that he's doing. That's true. Um, Sean, obviously oh. you hate reading. Yo. What'd you think of the, uh, the title cards? Um, a couple of them were a little bit long. Um, but beyond that, it was they were very poetic. I thought, yeah, they were kind of, and like, I, I, I was kind of bothered by the fact that like their mouth definitely was not what those title cards were reading. Yeah. So like, if you were looking at their mouths as we often do for m- regular movies or. Well, I don't think some of the time it was supposed to, I think it was. I don't like, think it was ever really supposed to. It yeah. was all supposed to be representative of the totality of the scene or the totality of what but they I were also, saying more than anything. I also thought maybe you got, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought it was also like transitional. It was more like expository to lead you into the next. There were a few sometimes. of those, but there were some that okay. were like supposed supposed to be direct dialogue essentially um you know especially there were a couple of moments between him and his girl where they're like a little bit of an exchange but most of that was physical um i did quite honestly i think you could make this movie without the title cards yeah um i think it would still work um and i i really would just prefer it as subtitles i know that you know a technical uh limitation at the time certainly and you know, wasn't something that was thought of, but I did think that the title cards interrupted the flow of things. Uh, it had it a quaintness totally, totally to it, had a quaintness to it, but like, yeah, I just didn't. Uh, it, everything else was like, you know, 
so kind of engrossing and enveloping as a story. And yeah. I was there. And then like each time one of those popped up, it was just like this thing that kind of, hmm. you know, That's interesting you. you say that because I, I completely agree, but I disagree on the, on, on how I feel about it. Yeah. Because I actually welcome those little moments. To mm. me, when I when when he was on the screen, I was following him like a hawk. Oh, like I just, like my eyes weren't blinking. I, yeah. I, even when I looked down to write a note, because I wanted to write some notes about the music, I was pissed off. You'd miss everything. A did, little, yeah you know, flick of his, yep. of his eye, you know, some little flick of his wrist, you know, I missed him throwing the sword or something like that. I was like, ah, oh, he's just perfect. And you can't stop watching him. Mm -hmm. He really is like that kind of character on screen. And to me, those little title card moments were kind of just like, oh, I can take a breather. Mm -hmm. I don't have to stare at him and follow him around the screen like a mad chicken without a head on. Like the commercial break when you get to take a pee. Yeah, it really yeah. was. It was just for my eyes yep. almost, you know? I but, can see that. Oh, what do you think about that, Tim? The the title card does a break for your for the momentum of the film. Uh yeah, you know, I mean, it it's just the parlance of the times. I've yeah. seen, you know, like watching Nosferatu or watching uh Modern <laughs> Times or any any other silent film, you know. It really it, is just the form, I think. Yeah, You're it's right. just the form. I didn't I didn't notice any change in pace at all. The one thing that I noticed about the title cards is that they had it against a wood grain to give it kind of a folksy vibe. <laughs> and I thought that that was a nice touch. <laughs> uh, but like truly, I, I I don't really follow what you guys are saying with that. <laughs> right on. Because it's just, I don't, know, I don't know. It's just a silent film. There's going to be title cards. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. <clears throat> um, Sean, why is Buster Keaton so compelling? I don't know. What, what is it about him? There's something special, I think. Well, I mean, he is that combination or like, I think just that, that transitional actor between vaudeville and the screen. And there was like a magic sort of period there where we had those people. We don't have vaudeville anymore. We really only have the screen. So there's no like, in like what it takes to be a vaudevillian actor is just so big and broad. And like, you know, the, like all of those, those winks and nods and everything have to be able to telegraph themselves to the back of the room. Whereas like the film acting is much more subdued usually, but he like rides that line right between where it's not totally like ridiculous overblown and you don't feel like he's out of place but he's big enough to be noticed against mm. everyone else you know so it's he's kind like of the like roaring 20s john cena hmm. wow <laughs> does john cena do his own stunts yeah does he really i think so doubt it okay <laughs> uh, okay so mostly due to contract i would assume because he's like you know no, other maybe people Jackie own him. Yeah, well, yeah. that let's do it because we've been kind of talking about it. We we have to talk about if if he was alive today, you know, what would he be like? Honestly, I'm curious. And also, if we had to cast him today, how could we possibly replace a Buster Keaton in this film? Honestly, Tom I don't. Cruise. Yeah, maybe. No way, <laughs> Tom no, Cruise can't do all. this stuff. He'd if Tom Cruise yeah. was also a parkour YouTuber or right, something. Right. Tom Cruise, ver Tom Cruise's version of doing his own stunts is duct tape me to the side of this airplane. Yeah, like I'm not gonna do anything, but you can do anything you want to me, kind of. Like you know, well, he's got the motorcycle stunts, but yeah, he's not the the parkour fucking jumping off shit sort of guy. No. He just has a little of everything too, because it's not just the parkour stuff. He's, he really is a master. Like he's a master of just this, the simple, like, you know, just hitting someone in the head with something. Yep. I know that sounds stupid, but no, just the way dude. he does it is, is perfect. Yeah. That was like one of my favorite moments that he's, when he's hiding in the house, he comes out and he bonks one soldier over the head. It's kind of an okay moment, but then he like has the rifle upside down on his sh shoulder, walks 
dead face directly into the other dude and just not breaking eye contact bonks him in the fucking head and it is i don't know there's something about that it's, it's one of the funnier moments in yeah, the whole movie it, it is, is it's wonderful it's it, and it's all in his just deadpan expression mm. because he's just got this like private joker shit or, well no not private joker who was the the vincent d'onofrio character but, oh oh yeah yeah um, um private pile yeah private pile private pile yeah uh, you're right. He's got yeah, the, the pile of dead, dead eyes. eyes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's like it's he's not, got the more. He's got crazy eyes. I think. Yeah, it, yeah. But it, I was gonna say it's more friendly, but it's it's not necessarily friendly. It's like blank canvas almost. Like D'Onofrio had that like crazy eye sort of blank. Yeah. The, uh, he's like it's not warm and inviting, but it's not an off-putting blank with Buster Keaton. Yeah. It's just like it is that sort of blank. Blank slate substrate to kind of put whatever personality like you want. He's almost like a, an uh, an avatar for the audience. I was thinking it's just like he 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 would never make it in a talkie, so to speak, mm. uh, as a leading man. But he would be a great character actor. Probably. Yeah, yeah, the best you know? friend or something, yes. or like yeah. the Kramer, or, yeah, or like yeah. a Bashimi. You know, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's got an interesting face. He's also not very tall, honestly. And mm-hmm. you can't yeah. really be a leading man if you're like, you know, what, what, how tall is he? Five, four, five, three? He's Tom, not sure. Tom Cruise is. From, right, he's a Tom yeah. Cruise, right. So there's always lifts in Apple yeah, Boxes. Yeah, Apple Boxes do yeah. a lot of magic. Man. True. Did uh, we figure out what we'd do if it was today? Oh, no, we never did that. Let's do it. <laughs> what I, do you tr- think? I tried to. You got something Well, when you said Tom, Tom Cruise? Cruise is fine. I was going to say if Matt Damon's character from, what's it called? Jason Bourne. If Jason Bourne is oh. a real life character. <laughs> yeah. Jason Bourne decided to quit being a CIA so agent and become an actor. we need characters to take the place there's of this no man. There's <laughs> no human being. Unless, honestly, there's no combination They would of, all have to do their own stunts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's if the if the Rock really could be the Rock, he can't do his own stunts. He does no, some. he does some, but again, I think it's that contractual thing. Like you know, there's so many other people that are waiting for him that like they literally just can't let him do stunts as much as he'd want to. If you take the Rock's personality, combine him with Steve Steve O's daring, and then you use some sort of parkour Cirque du Soleil guy, you could you could actually make a pretty a pretty funny remake of this with the Jackass cast. You could absolutely. And they oh, did wow. do some stunts. Obviously, you know, I think everyone knows in Jackass 3 with the, you know, the famous Buster Keaton gag where the the frame of the of the house falls down yes. and he jumps in front of the of the house. I'm yeah. sorry, of the house of the window frame. Ha, did you see the uh, the outtake of that where it fell on him? I have. Oh man, it fucked him up. It's great. <laughs> oh, dude. He's, he's actually, I would say, and I was going to mention this, I think Johnny Knoxville is the only person who could theoretically do this, but he's actually not good enough. Yeah. He's great at the yeah, the funny part. thing is, yeah. is he's a terrible actor. Yeah. I don't, I think he's okay. He's, he's really good at the physical comedy. I disagree. I disagree. No, he's terrible. He's I, abysmal. It's different. What's he been good in? He, also, Buster Keaton isn't quite the actor. He's playing Buster True. Keaton. True. Fair, you know? fair, fair. So, Honestly, we could get that movie greenlit. <laughs> he would do it. I yeah. don't think he'd be oh, up he for totally all the stunts, did. though. Maybe yeah. he's like a kid yeah, now and shit. Jackie Chan could definitely do the stunts. I don't know about the deadpan <laughs> charisma. Like Jackie Chan has charisma. That's a great. But it call. is yeah. like a, a it's happy like a warm yeah. sort of a yeah. It's, it's too much uncle gonna kick your ass sort of thing. Like yeah, uh, yeah. But I'm actually you know to be think I'm sure Jackie Chan has a couple scenes where he does homages. To oh, Buster I'm Keaton. sure. I, yeah, I, yeah. I'm just Probably, yeah. I would say that's a good call. I think Jackie Chan is is a maybe a prime younger. Jackie I mean, Chan. yeah, just for or uh, was it uh, Ray Park? Is that it? The uh, uh, guy from Star Wars. 
Um, oh, the guy that played Darth Maul? Yeah, that guy. Uh, oh. I forget what his name was. Isn't it Ray Park? Ray Parker Jr.? No, that's sure. Ghostbusters. Uh, <laughs> sure, he's good. He recently, Tweet at there, us. There, yeah. Did you see that video of him recently at, uh, I think it was like some nerdy conference where he basically took some nerds uh, lightsaber and just did a fucking show. Oh, really? Like, like crazy. All the nerds like, you know, shit their pants. They're like, oh my God, Darth Maul's real. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, okay, so I guess uh, I also want to mention some of the extras. <clears throat> I thought the extra work, the background actors were unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, just the choreography, the timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Are you talking about like the chase scenes with like the cavalry? Yeah, that that no, not just that, but also just like the guys on the on the other train mm. that when the northern soldiers were stealing the general. Yeah, those guys would just like pop up at right times, and they would all like be in rhythm. It was really beautiful. I don't know, it was just some sort of like synchronized swimming aspect to it. That's all. Yeah, that's also easier to do when you're not rolling sound and you can just yell at them all. Right, that's true. <laughs> true, totally fair, true. Fair. You forget that. But yeah, it brings up a whole new problem. <laughs> Um, okay. Uh, any other, uh, what about, what about her? Anna, Annabelle? She actually had a pretty, she pretty got tossed role. around quite a bit. I, think, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't feel like, like any actress today deserves to be treated that way. Oh, that's true. <laughs> from, from what I saw, she was just a, a, I think they, it was referred to as a bathing beauty. Yeah. So I don't they, think like, she was they, like, they got her from a company. Yeah. They like, they, they went and picked her out. It was, I was reading it and then. <laughs> It's not good, man. No. <laughs> it's not good. good. No, she took good. it like a trooper. Yeah, she she really did. Okay, so oh, let's, man. Let's they, they put her they put her through some shit. Okay, so he he had to hide her and, yeah. he, and he he put her in a big burlap he puts her sack. In a burlap sack. <laughs> throws her into a train. But he, when he puts her in the burlap sack, <laughs> she first doesn't quite fit. That's oh, not much yeah. of a stunt, as so much as it is massaging. Oh right? yeah. So he basically I think that, uh, yeah that was our first like Jaws open moment at the yeah. train. Yeah. of this poor woman. He basically just was, takes her head. He just and grabs her, her by the head and shoves her in the bag. Oh, it's really off-putting. It's yeah, it's bad. And then throws her in the train, and then they throw a crate on her in a barrel. Yep. Yeah, and they're actually throwing. I mean, I think yeah. obviously they missed her, but yeah, yeah I'm sure yeah. she rolled out of the way outside of that. Oh, we all, we all prayed. She rolled out of the frame. <laughs> there was a grip in there helping her. Yeah. Um, what did you think West. of what did you think of her portrayal? She had that big misogyny scene. <laughs> I guess I'm just gonna call it the misogyny scene on the train with her and Buster, mm-hmm. and they're trying to get away and they're trying to put some more wood into the fire. Um, <laughs> but and then she, and, one piece of wood has a hole in it, so it's yeah, no good. <laughs> yeah. So she she overcorrects and you know throws out the tiny little hold one, and then eventually she throws the axe in the fire, not realizing they might need the axe. And then, uh, yeah, so she, and she fucks up the brakes. I think she mm-hmm. starts going backwards. She's, she you know, does all sorts she's of stuff. She's played for the, you and know, he, he like, you know, he playfully strangles her. That's real fun. <laughs> well, you know, that awful he strangles part. her, but he then he kisses thro- her. He throws a log at her fucking head, you know? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like they really mistreated this woman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was not cool. <laughs> she had to have had a nightmare experience on this film. If this is being saved, maybe I just. Yeah. She was tied up 40% of the time yeah. in a burlap sack, another 25% of the time. True. On a yeah. moving train the rest of the time. Definitely not passing the Bechtel test here. <laughs> no, no. Right next to open flames on a bridge. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, I, I really, can't believe nobody got hurt on this film. 
Like, oh, yeah, I mean, people pe- got hurt. No, no, no. no. <laughs> people got hurt. No one died. But, like, nobody but, died. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I can't believe nobody died. Yeah, there were, this was say. like the most expensive movie in history at the time. And a lot of that was due to the lawsuits, mostly because of all the fires they started in the area. They actually had to evacuate the entire place for a couple of months. They headed back to LA and then came back a few months later to finish filming. Once all the fires got put out by the rain. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. Um, okay, let's just, because we're probably not going to have a, a part to talk about this any other time. Let's quickly just go over some of the other stunts that we love. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean, do you have a favorite stunt? Oh, man. Um, you know, I mean, it, it is really hard to to top that train, uh, the train. The cattle. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, riding the cow catcher, getting the, the logs out of the track or getting the railroad ties out of the track in time and, you know, just doing that. Like, honestly, it really doesn't even look that fantastic until you really think about what's happening. Because I think we've been so desensitized to uh, stunts and huge action that like, if you don't constantly remind yourself that this is actually a dude doing these things, I don't think it has the impact that it really needs to. So, I mean, yeah, that it, it is a great stunt, but it's even greater when you think about like what could have gone wrong, you know, the safety measures that they didn't have any of. That's the thing that kept me on the edge of my seat through yeah. a lot of this film was just like, holy shit, they don't have any safety nets for a lot of this stuff, yeah. seemingly, yep. you know? And I think the more and more as time goes on, that's yeah. that's what makes this actually more and more valuable. Well, it, yeah. some of those train crashes were were just yep. fantastic. They were crazy. Oh wow, I have forgot about yeah. that part where when he changed they, the tracks and they went up in the the ramp. Is that mm-hmm. what you're talking about? They went up the ramp, or the when the the bridge collapsed on the one train, or uh, when the uh, the there was a train collision where it just collapsed in on itself a little bit. Yeah, it was. Broke the cow catcher a little yeah, bit. Yeah, broke the cow catcher. You, you just can't do this stuff anymore, honestly. No. Like, they could never, no. never, yeah. ever do that kind well, of thing. They fucking, they this built- This whole movie, yeah, would have been- <laughs> Yeah, well, they built that fucking bridge so that they could burn it down with that train collapsing on it. Yeah. And then apparently they just left the train there. So it was like a tourist attraction That's for awesome. like 20 years or something until someone like pulled it out and sold it for scrap. Yeah, they must have had. They had had like a lot of trains. Well, if that's not the most Hollywood thing, yeah, they uh, they bought two trains and then they found the third finally to use as the crash train. So three mm-hmm. trains total. I want to say that I think this movie also does a really interesting job of just kind of breaking down things in the past historically that I wasn't really kind of ever thinking about. Hmm. Uh, the first one was actually just trains, just like mm. the way you have to constantly have wood and, yeah. and simply water. And, and just and, grab some dude's fence and start burning that and you shit. Realize, yeah. yeah, you just got to be constantly feeding the fire and yeah. you have to have these, obviously, you don't realize it because it's part of the scenery in every Western movie, but you have to have the, the water, water tanks. Yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, because it's the steam. steam. <laughs> yeah, you just don't quite pick, or at least to yeah. me, I didn't quite pick it up. Yeah. Um, um, so I love this that movie. Kind of did little... a pretty good job of walking us through that. Even like the brakes. Dri- we were yeah, all like yeah. amazed with the brakes of I the train. I feel like I could drive a train. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it didn't look that difficult. It was like two levers, you know, not yeah. that big a deal. I feel like I could Man. jump on a cow catcher now. Totally. Yeah. yeah. That's a good um, point. One That's of the... true. Maybe this movie lied to us. <laughs> he makes that shit look easy. <laughs> one of the uh, other ones I really loved historically was the just going to the line and waiting in line oh, to get yeah. the the draft card, not the draft card, but the to registration the point, yeah. enlistment card. Um, obviously, wasn't historically accurate, but it was. It, yeah, but that's you have something you don't quite realize. You have to stand in line and talk about. You know, maybe they rejected you. Maybe they didn't. Maybe there's a shame in not going. Mm-hmm. Obviously, your your girlfriend's not going to be that crazy about 
you know, hating you if you don't go. But honestly, back then, possibly, I mean, this is based on a true story. I don't know how much of like that relationship element is true, but I do think, you know, propaganda is very powerful and effective. True. So if, you know, um, you know, women can be just as propagandized as men. Yeah. And if they think it's in their baby's best interest to send their man off to war, like, you know, don't be a pussy, bitch. <laughs> Wise words. <laughs> and uh, oh, do, do you have anything else, Tim? I see you kind of futzing around. You got any uh, special nuggets you're trying to? Not at this moment. No, right. I was just doing some research. Wonderful, uh, Sean. We're gonna go to you then. Let's uh, let's play some games. Uh oh. Are you ready? Do it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to play the most wondrous, fantabulous game there ever was on the internet? The only game where people look up numbers and then you guess the numbers and we try and figure out what those numbers mean? Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to guess the gross. And uh, we're going to be playing some games here. Where He's getting I... better, guys. He's getting better. That's the, that's <sighs> that was like an 11. <laughs> Good yeah. work. I just don't want you burning out so early. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. That, I'm going to need another Red Bull here. Um, yeah, so, you know, that didn't make sense. But we're going to uh, throw out some the names of some movies here that uh, star people that have done their own stunts. And mm. you people are going to try and guess how much they made in the, the domestic box office gross. Awesome. All right. So, gentlemen, first up on the docket, we have... Why so serious? In 2008, directed by Christopher Nolan, we have The Dark Knight. We have Mr. Christian Bale doing the majority of his own stunts, according to my quick wiki-ing. Can you tell me the year again? Uh, 2008, The Dark Knight. Uh, Christian Bale, Heath Ledger, Michael Caine, Gary Oldman, Morgan Michael Freeman. Kine. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. She was only 16 years old. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst quote you can beg to use. Uh, Joey. <laughs> I How just wanted the more Dark Michael Caine. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. uh, I don't quite know what to do with this one because as, as Tim loves to say, this is right around that time. It, it had burst, my friend. It Tell had us about burst. the economy, too. Oh, 2008 was a year. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Um, I will point out just so maybe to... Uh, whatever. Uh, this was released July 18th of 2008. Ugh. The crash is September, August-ish. Interesting. So. Looming on the horizon. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, my number is 250 million. 250 million, says Joseph Bonnier. Tim Snow. $452 million. 452. And neither of you had enough faith in this movie. This one came in at Whoa. $533 million. I knew it was something crazy. With this a production crazy. budget of $185 yeah. million. I went and saw this movie three times. Wow. wow. Yeah. He likes them bats. I did. I, I really like Batman. <laughs> Gentlemen, a double feature that'll tear you into two. In 2007, directed by Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino, we have Grindhouse, featuring Zoe Bell, who does all of her own stunts, being that she is a stunt woman by trade. So this is... Uh, this is the to the whole total? movie. Yeah, because it was released as one movie, even though gotcha. it's two movies, double feature, grindhouse deal. Um, yeah, what did those two movies make in their domestic gross box office? Joey? 40. $40 million. Timmer? 18. $18 million. Tim does take it away. It came in at $25 million. 
And um, Jim, it didn't seem like an earner. No, <laughs> no, it didn't. Did you no. see it in theaters? I haven't seen it at all. Oh uh, wow! I don't have any interest in seeing that. Man, I've only seen parts of it, and it's not. Yeah, it just doesn't look good. It's man. like du- from dusk till dawn. I, that, that movie sucks. I will definitely beg to differ with that. Uh, Dust Till Dawn is, I I think, my favorite Rodriguez movie. Um, I love that fucking movie. Uh, But yeah. I like Desperado. Uh, Desperado's okay. I don't know why. Maybe I got a thing for Antonio. I haven't seen Desperado. Gentlemen. I'll give that a shot. Go ahead. Go ahead. Gentlemen. Yes. (laughs) Smart. And sexy in 2005. <laughs> directed by Doug. I want that Lillian. as a button. <laughs> I will boycott this show if that is not a button. Market, market. Send me the time code. Uh, we have Mr. <laughs> and Mrs. Smith from 2005. Oh. This great one is Angelina Jolie doing breaker. most of her own stunts as well. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh. Angelina Jolie. Uh, see, and the the funny thing I found about this movie is that Angelina Jolie is kind of broadcast as doing her own stunts, but Brad Pitt is not. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we have Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, Vince Vaughn. Um, oh yeah, Vince Vaughn is in that. Keith David. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Mm, yeah. I wonder if it's like any good. <laughs> it's not. Probably not. It's okay. They gotta have such chemistry, though. That's what Mm. I think. That's true. You know, they gotta have such chemistry, and that's kind of what the whole movie is. It's just action and them making out, action and fucking, which is action. You know. Anyways, how much did it make? Dennis Reynolds wrote that movie (laughs) in 2005. Uh, What did it bring in? Enjoy. Show it, Uh, Timmer. What do you got? You go first. Oh Oh, shit! Uh, Throw him under the bus. What was the year? Sorry, 2005. That's how I went. Oh, 2005. 225 million dollars. Two two five says Timmer. Joey. 70. $70 million. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, Please tell me Tim doesn't win. Tim does win. What you, the shit? Kind of had to do a little math there, though. So it came in at $186 million. Still. Yeah, yeah. Made that yeah. much money. Oh, yeah. I still won by landslide, dude. Yeah. Oh, it was, a, it was a big hit. Everybody loved that movie. Oh, I mean, they were two of the biggest stars of the time. It was the talk like, of the town. Yeah. Also, they, it split up. Jennifer and Brad. True that. Uh, yeah. the couple no, that was it, that was huge in tabloids and oh. shit. And you, so, like that, you drove read a lot of Inquirer at the time. No, my mother did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Rules are made to be broken. In 2002, directed by Louis Lettler and Corey Juan, we have the Transporter, starring Jason Statham, who does most of his own stunts. 2002, The Transporter. Transporter. Starring Jatham Statham. Jason Statham. Joey, how much did it make? 89. $89 million, Timmer. Ooh, 32. $32 million. Timmer is just cleaning fucking up on this game. This one came in at $25 million. And not that it really matters because Tim just fucking wiped your face with this thing. But we're going to do the fifth one anyways. This is all. Because, gentlemen, the fairy tale is over. In 2012, directed by Rupert Sanders, we have Snow White and the Huntsman, where apparently Kristen Stewart does almost all of her own stunts. 
Oh, goodness. <laughs> Kristen Stewart, Chris Hensworth, Charlize Theron, uh, Ian McShane, Bob Hoskins, uh, a bunch of other people here. Wasn't uh, Angelina Jolie in that, too? Not that I'm seeing here. She's Maleficent, which is... Did, uh, wasn't she in that movie? Not that I'm seeing, but maybe it's like at the end cameo thing. I have no idea. I think it's yeah. in the same universe. Though. I think so, yeah. All that crap. Uh, so what did Snow White and the Huntsman make, Timmer? Oh, man. $45 million. $45 million. Uh, Joey? At 60. That's $60 million. Dollars. Joey finally takes one today. Yeah, this one came in at $155 million. Yeah. It did have a production budget of $170 million, though. Jesus. So not quite uh, the best This there. was like one of those like all green screen movies, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. But thank you, gentlemen, for playing Guess the Gross, the most fabulous game in the one. Fuck you. All right. Um, so now we're going to move on to everyone's favorite segment where I talk about the sound. I'm going to listen patiently. <laughs> thank you. I want to learn today. Oh, that's lovely. No, I'm, I'm going to go like get some coffee and take a piss. <laughs> All right. Um, obviously, Sean, not mm. a lot of dialogue in this film. Really? No. Yeah, fucking song guy got hosed. It's all right. I picked it. Yeah. Um, I, I picked it knowing that, you know, I wanted a shot silent film that was uh, visually interesting, mm. you know, that would that would be captivating without anything. Like I would hope most silent films are visually interesting. <laughs> this one, ha you know, is yeah, yeah, totally. a little bit above the rest. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, uh, it takes it to the next level. Like I could watch these over and over and over again, which we kind of did sometimes. Um, but I'm not even talking about the sound. Mm. Uh, the music was glorious. Uh, I wrote gorgeous and luscious. So we were watching the Blu-ray copy. Apparently there's a bunch of different versions you can get, but- do you know where this music came from? Um, I know that it was originally scored by Jeff Beale. Do we know um, when, considering there was no sound, like it would have been sheet music when it was distributed? Right. I doesn't. It doesn't quite say. I, I probably should do a little more research. I apologize. Right on. But I think that um, it was probably, you know, I, I would assume it clicked maybe 20 years after or maybe 30. Mm. Um, actually, this guy looks somewhat young, so maybe he wasn't. <laughs> okay. Wow. Much later. Um I don't know. This yeah. is giving me a lots of, it's tough. It's confusing. Yeah. And honestly, there's like 20 pieces on the Wikipedia which says William P. Perry, I'm giving credit to. Um, but I don't I don't know because I think it might've been a combination. People yeah. might've been building and building and building. Um, well, apparently this went into public domain for a while. So like it's, you know, mm. it, it could be, it, it's basically like a uh, remix culture almost at that point. Yeah. So it's possible like anyone could have fucking, yeah. So it it is really great for a lot of reasons, and it made me so um, inspired that I I wrote a criteria for a full score. And what oh, I mean wow. by full score, I mean a a complete melodic score that touches on everything. And and I, this is kind of how I judge a score. So let me just kind of give you my breakdown. And and this is for a specific kind of score, like the old school score, meaning melodic, mm. not the more um, impressionistic Hans Zimmer style. This is like the John's John Williams style. So basically, I'm looking for melody and harmony and. And this had Isn't that. that all music? Not all music. Well, at least this, I mean good melody and harmony. Okay. And the way I mean that is that it, it's memorable. Mm. And that these are, are simple tunes. They are- Thank you. All very uh, work well together. They mesh together going from one tune to one tune. I thought that was nice. There was great rhythm and syncopation, meaning like all the music really lined up wonderfully as almost like Foley and effects. Yeah. That was a really great moment. Except all for that one head bonk. 
the one head bonk was off. Yeah. First one before the yeah. musket head bonk. The musket one was great though. It made the up musket, for it. The musket one was glorious. <laughs> there was a weird cut in that scene too. There's a lot of like weird that cuts. I think they're just like missing just frames bucked. and yeah. Uh, actually, well, I don't even care what I'm talking about right now. Tim, what did you think of the music? Did you like the music in this film? I did. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah. I mean, it was all like classical uh, Confederate songs, I assume. There were some Union songs. Mm-hmm. I assume. There was a lot of I don't know. Songs. Yeah, no, it was just you know it was pleasant and it it, uh, it moved the story along. Like I like I said, it's it's a silent film, so I just expected some classical music that would move the story along. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, I was pleasantly surprised by some of the uh, like diegetic parts of the score. Okay, um, like the bonks or like some of the times where he would drop certain things that would mm. you'd hear it in the percussion. Sure, um, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and fun. I, it's all vaude, vaudevillian stuff, though. But yeah, I mean, specifically the instrument, you know, like that woodblock silly sound works. Yeah. You know, obviously it's over the top, but it, it but you know. Just that hollow bonk that like, yeah. you know, that indication of like nothing inside of the cranium and it yeah. just kind of resonates. Yeah, it's a and this leads to my number three, instrumentation. Mm. Uh, the use of different instruments representing characters or story elements or themes was wonderful. Just the way that they, they picked different moments to use different instruments, yeah. drums to bring up the action, violins to emphasize the romance. It was all really wonderful. There was a lot of that Peter and the Wolf thing going on. Absolutely. And I even asked you, and you answered correctly when I asked you <laughs> what the instrument was, like a douche. Uh, you said oboe. Yeah, 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 right. That's only because I have you know, uh, I, I have a fondness for Peter and the Wolf. Yeah. Um, in Peter and the Wolf, too, they do this great, and I, my next number four is Peaks and Valleys. Like, mm. the idea of the music has to kind of actually have climaxes and quiet moments have some dynamic range. Yeah. Uh, number five, I wrote Memorability. And this is just simple, like, I can't really put a num- like a, a qualitative thing on this it, it, it is i'm sorry quantitative thing on this uh just going back to the previous yeah, one where you said peaks and valleys yeah um how would you uh I, I guess how would you rectify that with like the hans zimmer shepherd tone reset glissando sort of situation like, it's still part of it i mean it just the it's it's a continuous peak going and up. valley <laughs> yeah yeah it is um it's it's, so it's that, unrelenting guess, or it's more like the, there is no valley i guess my question is that like is that the ultimate expression of that or is that like the antithesis of that yeah so i would compare um it's tough to say i would say a shepherd tone is almost like a hamster wheel mm. where you know you're you feel like you're constantly going up but you're not going anywhere yeah um and that's really what dunkirk was yeah a constant hamster wheel. Um, but that's okay. That works for that movie because, you know, the British army is surrounded. Yeah, I was just uh, wondering how that fit into your, you know, perfect score criteria thing. I think it's part of it. I was trying to differentiate the more modern styles from mm-hmm. the traditional styles because it, it is, the, this is what I'm kind of looking for in one, I don't want to, I don't want to say it in all scores. Yeah, yeah. I kind of want to say in, in these older scores, I guess. Um and I think the memorability thing is is easier in the more modern times when you can you can kind of go outside a melody. You can mm. just have a a bong, and that's memorable, right? Mm. That everyone knows that from Inception. Almost more so than a melody these exactly. days. Exactly, it's easier, mm. um, and that's why I think I praise I, I I prioritize melody a lot. And I think that this did such a great fucking job of melody. Just the way that they p- had continued them in different moments. You even noticed they played Dixie in a minor key. Okay, Sean, Sean is a, is actually much better at music than he lets on. But the fact that Sean was able to pick up on that is great. You know, that's something that only you can do in a silent film, I think, for a lot of laymen. Because you're not going to listen for that stuff when other stuff is going on. When you have dialogue, when True. you have all the other camera movements and all that kind of thing. Although you should feel it. Like, even if you're not consciously paying attention, 
intention, the whole reason that music is there is to kind of not be conscious and be that sort of unconscious emotion behind I things. I agree and disagree. I think in some senses, yes, it should be subtle, but I think I like when it calls attention to itself sometimes. See, and I, I guess that's just my uh, personal film preference in that I despise anything that calls attention to itself. Yeah, okay. So I don't like camera moves that like distract me from the story and make me think about how beautiful this camera is. Mm. I think the camera should be, you know, uh, relegated to telling the story in the way that is relevant what to what's going on. I think you're right. There's a line, there's a scale. Um, certain music can be very over, hit you over mm. the head, right? Yeah. You know, those, those, ostinato strings when there's a suspense moment. Bum, 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 something like that. Did you guys you know? see the new It yet? I haven't seen it. <laughs> I haven't seen either of them. I'll mention it again. Angel is a center. Oh, no, not Angel. Uh, oh, fuck. Never mind. Stupid song. You'll get it later. Angel is a centerfold? <gasps> no, it's not Angel is a centerfold. It's a different Angel song, but uh, yeah, it doesn't really matter. What's that? It doesn't matter, dude. It, it, yeah. Okay. Um, so my last one here is is just about leitmotif and story support. And that is how does the music represent what's going on in the story? How does it change? How does it come back to it? How does it kind of weave in and out? And that really is sometimes like callbacks. Angel I really, of the morning, callback. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, you know, because a piece of music at the end of the film is so much more important when you hear it in the beginning. It's the where it's why you have an overture. It's why you have light motifs in general. Um, the fact that you notice that we have Dixie. Dixie is a mm. built-in light motif because we already know it's associated with the Confederacy. So as soon as we see the Confederate Army, we're going to hear it. You guys didn't know Bonnie Blue Flag, but that's another huge one. That like accusatory. You don't know that one. You don't know your Texas history. Either way. <laughs> we didn't know it. <laughs> yeah. I always said it like that. But the um, the Bonnie Blue Flag was another great one that they mixed in and kind of slightly tweaked as, as a theme. Um, Is that a classic yeah. that we should know as well as Dixie? Yeah. It's like Dixie's I went to Missouri public schools, <laughs> so I learned very little. Uh, I would say that Bonnie Blue Flag is the B-side to Dixie's mm. A-side. Interesting. I would think I also never heard Dixie growing up. Yeah, that yeah, I would think in Missouri public school that would be like what they you know just pipe through everywhere. Interestingly, no, because <laughs> um, I would think that too based on the attitudes and views of some of the. <laughs> yep, war uh, northern aggression. Ironically, Lincoln is a swing state. <laughs> Lincoln loved Dixie. He said it was his favorite song. Mm. Mm. Um. So I think the music did a lot. I, 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 you can't really talk too much about sound effects because the music is part of the sound effects. Yeah. You know, the crashing of a cymbal is thunder. Um, the I loved the horses. That was great when they had the drums, when the horses were kind of running by, almost trampling yeah. him. That was a great usage of that. Um, I don't know. I, I, think, I just liked the way one usage of Dixie I noticed was when he changed clothes. Uh, he was in the Union uniform and he was in the, you know, the, the train and he was getting sniped. And then he had to change clothes quickly to the gray uniform. And all of a sudden you hear a quick little Dixie on the, you know, <laughs> I appreciated it. That's all. Um, Were there cannons in the score during the end battle? I feel like I remember hearing explosions, but I, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're, wow. I mean, cannons are a musical instrument. That is my favorite musical instrument. <laughs> <laughs> um. I want to talk about actually about that cannon scene. We didn't get to talk about that cannon scene. I love, that was one of my favorite stunts. That was a great stunt. Yeah. That was my favorite stunt. He's probably deaf, but. Unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, like just, just ducking in front of the cannon yeah. at the right time. But like, you know, how quick are those fuses? And yeah, how, like... it's, yeah, exactly. It's counting on a lot of things to go right. Dude. Um, let's well, see. Yeah. Uh, fairly enough, they started a lot of forest fires. So. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Um, Sean. Yes, sir. Let's talk about how this movie uh, was shot. How'd it look? 
Um, mostly in the wides, which is perfect for this fucking movie. Um, just kind of a lot of like, put it on the tripod and let's watch this fucking dude do his thing. Uh, we got into a couple like tighter two shots, but it stayed wide mainly so that he could do his vaudevillian sort of thing. Um, we, there, you know, there were only like, you know, the close-ups were very, very rare. Um, there were a couple moments where he was like hiding in places and they would go to a close-up or like um, when he was under the table, again, hiding or peeking through the little hole in the table from the cigar burn, things like that. But other than that, man, you, you, you got to play it in the wide, especially for those stunts. Um, you know, that's kind of the the current, I guess, Jackie Chan style of stunting is that like everyone else in those action movies, they do it all tight and fast and spinny because those guys aren't doing anywhere near what they want them to look like they're doing. Yeah. So if you do 20 shots and cut it together real quick and disorient the audience, then they think a lot of cool stuff happened, even though like nothing really did. Yeah. But you watch a Jackie Chan movie and it's a fucking planted wide that might pan a little bit, but you see him doing everything, flipping and smacking and whatnot. And to me, yeah, that's like, that seems to stem directly from this kind of school of cinematography, I guess, which is more just, again, that sort of vaudevillian perspective of just give us the stage and let this dude fucking do his thing. Um, I noticed one thing. Tell me if this is just a stupid layman's You're opinion. Wrong. Um, but I noticed how the, the beginning had a lot more close-ups, mm. a lot more just, you know, we're indoors maybe. It was slower story structures, more traditional. It's the character moments versus the, right. the, action, the action moments. And yep. I think that was cool because it kind of like opened up the yeah. world like a funnel, you know? And and it just like, it kind of, it added to the story. You know, we got the, and it was a, a natural to me. It didn't mm -hmm. feel too weird. And I didn't kind of notice it until later. So I like the way that kind of naturally just the editing, the shot selection kind of changed. It was more open, just like the action he got more out there as the train ride got more out there. Yeah, a slightly more modern but way worse example of that, I think, is Interstellar, uh, where like all of the stuff where he's on Earth is all in a uh, a very um, like cropped aspect ratio, and then when he gets out to space, everything is all like wide and everything. So they they actually fuck with the aspect ratio to kind of give that feel. It doesn't work anywhere near as well as like this simple thing that they did a hundred fucking years ago. <laughs> Uh, Tim, do you think, um, how, how, well, you mentioned kind of the editing earlier. Yeah. Uh, some of the weird cu cuts. Did you think the editing overall was good or bad or how'd you feel? Uh, you know, I didn't really think much of the editing. Um, you were just talking more about missing frames, right? Like the jumps. Well, yeah. There were just missing frames and so, and so on and so forth. Jumpy cuts and kind of. Yeah. Thing. Just jumpy cuts, uh, you know, random bits and pieces. Uh, I would be curious to learn about how the editing, you know, like how the editing process went back then. And, sure. you know, well, like you get yourself how a precise blade. it was. <laughs> you get yourself yeah, some glue. Well, exactly. <laughs> you know, did it change between 1926 and 1975? Mm. You know, um, well, sound came in, so that changed a lot. But I mean, <laughs> yes, of course, Sean, well, actually, thank I, you. Color came in, I, that changed I, some things. I don't know a lot, Sean, but is, there's that machine, right, that you can kind of like, you know, scroll the film and cut it autom yes. automatically. Yeah, I've, but I've never edited film myself you're most likely talking about like a steinbeck yes um that's what i'm talking about which is when did that come in play um oh shit i think i want to say like 
late 50s, 60s in okay. there, maybe. I could oh, be wrong on that. Okay. Um, I don't know much about editing history. I'm a little better in camera history, but um, somewhere in there is, yeah. I mean, basically that needed to be done when we had more um, uh, more audio tracks and everything coming in. But um, actually, I just watched the... Uh, Oh God, there was a, um, this weird fucking movie from, uh, Shia, not Shia LaBeouf. Uh, never mind. I'll look it up, but there's a weird new movie about editing. It's kind of like a, um, a once upon a time in Hollywood, but like, uh, like right after that, but, um, it shows a lot of editing at that time. And basically, you know, it is all literally just a couple of rolls of film and a little videos or a cinema scope. So it's, you know, just yeah. this tiny little, basically projector on your desk and you got two big rolls of film and you're cycling through with your blade, you cut the blade or you cut the film wherever it stops, you mark another piece and then glue them together when you want to cut. Um, you know, it is as simple as that sounds, but there is like a magic in doing that right. Uh, you reminded me of a film that um, was directed by someone we, we used to know, uh, uh, The Cutting Edge. Oh, wow. And I, I don't know why you remind me because you're kind of talking about just documentaries about yeah. editing. Uh, yeah. That's the Walter Merch doc, right? Yes. That is uh, from it's, our, it's our a lot friend, of people, the Wendy Lady. Yeah. Um, but yeah, check that movie out decent it's all about cutting you know the history of editing yeah it's not the topic one with the ice skating it's the, <laughs> yeah the one about still a good movie uh yeah. topic oh yeah that, i i watch that at least every olympics season um i'd rather watch fucking uh that cutting edge topic yeah than the actual olympics yeah okay well um oh the movie i was referring to is zeroville uh it is a new uh like uh, what do you call it? Lowish budget movie or indie oh, movie? James Franco. James Franco. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I was reading that that is possibly the worst movie of 2019. I've seen a lot of really negative reviews. That's, that was, I thought it was pretty interesting. verbatim an article yeah. headline that I read. Yeah. I didn't read the article and I haven't seen the movie. So I don't know. I mean, I'm also not going to see the movie from, from what I saw, the negative articles around that seemed to be people that loved the book. I had no idea it was a book. So to me, it was just like an interesting character study okay. of some random dude I'd never heard of. All right. Well. Uh, so Sean, I have two questions for you about visuals oh. before we move on. One about stabilization, mm -hmm. um, especially that camera. They didn't have it back then. <laughs> I, I, feel, <laughs> I know they didn't, but like, uh, how, I don't know. The camera seemed very stable. The one that was on top of, you know, the train mm -hmm. that was kind of just like a, almost like a, a top bird's eye view almost. Yeah. It feel, felt very extra stable. I don't know. Was there something going on there? Or? Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not too sure. My guess is basically just because it was with the train and he was with the train that any of the shaking would all be relative. Mm -hmm. So it was shaking more than you thought, but like it's less noticeable because yeah. everything is shaking together. If Do you think the cameramen were on the train or they just kind of oh, set up? Yeah, cameramen were fucking everywhere. Yeah. Like that, that's he what had I was really thinking about a lot. running at a time for oh, that. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking all about a lot in these scenes. I'm like, where the fuck are the cameramen? They are in danger for yeah. sure. You know, the, the big they're battle, not trained. The big battle scene at the end definitely had eight cameras. I think he had like three cameras to work with for most of the other stuff. But yeah, sometimes they were on other trains that were right next to it. Sometimes they were on trucks that were driving on roads next to it. Sometimes they were mounted to the train or, you know, most of it. I don't think anything was handheld at the time. So they were all mounting to something. 
it, and I'm sorry to bring this back to Jackass, but it made me, <laughs> it reminded me of being just in a crew like that. Mm. Like having to, like imagine being a, the camera guy in Jackass when they Dude. put bees inside the limo and you have to simply just keep shooting yeah. while get stung by bees. Yeah. Like that's, like they didn't sign up for that. They're not Steve-O. Yeah, well, no, he kind of did. Well, yes, they did. They like, did sign up. Because they used the same guy yeah. for the whole thing. His name is like Rick Cossack, I think. Mm. They did, yeah. I think there's a guy named Lance too, I think his name is. He's another Lance, camera guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. I think they found guys that were just willing to deal with it. And was it just working. another one of the crew that didn't want to be on camera, sort of thing? Like, I guess. No, I think that they, they, they were. They just weren't material mm. for the, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if I would. Not do quite that. jackassy enough. Would well, you, they just weren't TV material. You know, like mm. yeah, not my judgment, but yeah. like the face you know, for radio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's there's a certain charm to Johnny Knoxville that these guys might. Yeah, have. and also they didn't seem like stuntmen. You know, mm. the rest exactly. of these guys were just kind of amateur stuntmen. Right. Mm. And that's kind of why I feel bad for some of these camera guys and, and these you'd crew. See, yeah, you'd see like, well, on Jackass, you'd see the cameramen throwing up and right. shit all the mm. time. I would be puking all the time. All the time. Funny story, I did puke on set once. Really? Nice. Yeah, but it was only because they, uh, <laughs> the water was poisoned. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> the whole crew kind of got a little bit of poison. You drinking Anywho, a well water? <laughs> yeah, I don't blame uh, I was. It was just a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> Willie Schnicket? <laughs> no, that was not the movie. That was, I just mean, that is what actually happened. Yeah. Uh, so uh, one more thing before we move on, Sean. Lighting. Um, there was mm -hmm. a couple lighting gags. What do you think of the lighting overall? Anything special? Um, I mean, it was mostly outdoor and mostly big and flat. What was indoor? I mean, actually, I was kind of surprised by some of the lighting in the house. Yeah. So when he was like hiding in the house and they were doing that dark stuff, like, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of control of lighting as we talked about a few times back then. So, you know, you, you didn't have a whole lot of options. You had a big arc light or you had the sun and that was about everything. Um, so, you know, the, the getting those subtleties and getting those like shadows and especially mm -hmm. on that film stock was very difficult and it did you know it seems to have held up i don't know how much restoration work was done but yeah you know it it looks serviceable today yeah like, i thought there was a few shots especially inside that mm -hmm. were framed nicely had really nice blocking especially yeah, yeah. too uh the one scene where he's hiding under the the um the table mm -hmm. and he's almost like that hitchcockian you know whatever the fuck it is bombing rear window <clears throat> thing or something oh yeah that was good that was a good scene and there's a lot of nice you know just like peeking out of the little hole that was uh, burned through with the cigar. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was nice, even yeah. though they kind of added a lot. Of, there, were, there were a lot of really clever moments in this movie. Yeah, mm -hmm. just, yeah, I definitely agree. They're yeah. just simply clever moments. Uh, okay, so we're going to move on to my game. Now, oh. normally we would play the Oscar game, mm. but because the Oscars didn't really start until 1929, <laughs> honoring the films of 27 and 28, True. this is one year before that cutoff. So we can't really play the game. Poor Buster. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to test you, gentlemen, uh -oh. on trivia from 1926. Jesus fucking uh. Christ. 1926. <sighs> First of all, gentlemen, who was the president of the United States in 1926? Harry S. Truman. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> the vacuum guy. Herbert Hoover? Hoover. That's a good guess. No, uh, it was Roosevelt? Nope. No. What, that gives you three of them or two of them? See? <laughs> Playing the odds? Calvin Coolidge. Oh, Jesus. Ah. That's nobody's president. I wouldn't have gotten that. <laughs> Fuck Calvin Coolidge. The fucking caretaker president. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the Calvin Coolidge was just riding that Roaring Twenties wave. Mm. He was just, uh, yeah, exactly. A caretaker true, president, true. if there ever was one. Yeah. Anywho. Real shill. Let's move on to another type of question. Uh, gentlemen, what was the world population in 1926? Oh, geez. Four billion. Okay. Yeah, man, I was right in there. I'm going to go 3.2 billion. The answer is 2 billion. Mm. Yes. Wow. Yeah. People are animals. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking like rabbits over there. Okay. um, Let's see. What is... So, okay, a very famous inventor named Robert Goddard invented something in 1926. What did he invent? Vibraphone. (laughs) Sean, what's your guess? What did Robert Goddard invent in 1926? The bass Goddard. (laughs) You know what? I I really want to just give you points. (laughs) Uh, Bakelite? Uh, no, it is mm. the liquid-fueled rocket. Oh, Godard, oh, wow. The big deal. People forget about Robert Goddard. Everyone thinks about, you know- Von uh, Braun. You know, yeah, Von Braun or even Solikovsky in, uh, in Russia. But mm. Goddard, we named after the Space Center. Mm. Goddard Space Center. Uh, so uh, he's uh, an American who is uh, a rocket guy. Everyone thinks all the Germans and the Russians did it. We had, he's we had an American. We, we had one, and that's way before them Germans. Yeah. Mm. Liquid-fueled rockets, guys. Tell them. Okay. Uh, the price of a Dodge touring car, a Dodge oh, to buy, to, 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 you know, a family car. Dodge is a damn fine car. $12,500. Ran over my wife okay. in a Dodge. $12,000. Yeah, that's- No. That's what a new Dodge might cost no. today. <laughs> <laughs> Just letting you know that. Okay. Uh, uh, 250 bucks. Fine? Okay. 250 bucks. That's a better guess. All right, sure. Yeah, you stole mine because I know the Model T was $100. Fuck. So the, um, I'm going to go with, let's go with, with Dodge. I'm going to say 300. The answer is 795. Wow. wow. My price is right. That's your pretty ass. expensive. Uh, yeah, it's true. Yeah. But so it was so like, what, what could you have bought for $12,500 in 1926? A mansion. <laughs> could you have? Could yeah. you? Maybe. Yeah. A house a was house. like a grand or two. Yeah. Damn. Yep. Okay. You could uh, go back in time, but all of your money would look weird. True. Well, eh, they solved that in Back to the Future Part 2. Mm, true. Part 3. Part 3. They never really tell you part how. Part 2? Well, yeah, 2 is when he's got the briefcase full of money okay. from different times. That's, that's the but one But they I was never tell you to. how he got that money. So, like, you know. <laughs> he, you know, he, he gets plutonium, exactly. man. Like, yeah, yeah. He's, he's got no sticky question. fingers. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was thinking of doing one more. Um, Please do. This is fun. Okay. Um, this was a number one hit in 1926. I'm sitting on top of the world. Who sang I'm sitting on top of the world? Nat King Cole. Good guess. No, it's not. That's correct. 26. It's not, it's not a good guess what at all. What a bad guess. Fuck is 26. Bob Hope. <laughs> that name was coming to my nice. mind, man. That's still like 30 years later. Um, shit, Adler. I don't even know. Um, uh, Billy Holiday. Al Jolson. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Al Jolson. Okay. He shot a test film uh, in the same year for the Jazz Center, uh, um, uh, like a test talkie yeah, yeah. that was unreleased. 
Jai Singer was 29. 29. Yeah, he shot three test films before that that I think were unreleased. And one of them, the first of which, was shot in uh, 1926. Yeah, we saw Singing in the Rain. We know how this works. It all works good. Yep. Um, okay. Singing in the Rain. Sucked. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck we Singing in the Rain. Out. Oh my God. It's like a curse word. Yeah. Leave the window open for Singing in the Rain. That's an old joke. Wow. That's stale. Wow. Maybe you want to take a dirt nap? No. You're the cat's pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, we're kind of coming to that point in the, in the podcast where we can do miscellaneous and we can talk about whatever we want. But I want to quickly talk about the, we kind of glossed over it a little bit, the, the idea that it is the Confederate point of view. <laughs> um, it's 1926. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean, when was Birth of a Nation? 15? Somewhere in there, like yeah. That? Was, I mean, so so was, this- Oh, go ahead. Was Buster Keaton a racist guy? <laughs> that I do not know. Um, I, it's an f- interesting hey, choice to make it sympathetic <laughs> no, constantly fitting. towards the Confederate Army. Uh, as the, it's, no, it's not ambiguous. Yeah, I mean, according to the wiki, again, it was because he thought that the character wouldn't be sympathetic if he was going back to the villains. So if you do paint the South as the, as the bad guys, as, you know, as the original book would have, it would be hard to, you know, empathize with him and like root for him. If you know, you know, if you're constantly beat over the head with the fact that like these guys are the bad guys, remember, remember these guys are the bad well, guys. The, could the movie work if he was, uh, for instance, one of the union guys who stole the train? Yes, but it is a true story. <laughs> so like I mean if you want to just rewrite history just because you're on the winning side and you want to steal their story because it makes you feel better that's well, you know you can change history it's like, you can but I mean I mean for <laughs> dramatic purposes right I mean we do it all the time but like if you're gonna cross that bridge then like why even stick to this story at all and why not just do something like you know completely yeah. out of the realm at that point you should just make speed true <laughs> <laughs> no, Speed 2 was on a train. Speed 3 was on a train. Really? Speed 3? They made Wait, three they of those? Speed, three. speed 2 was on a train. No, Speed on, 2 was on a boat. Did they, they make under three? Siege two? Under Siege 2. Under yes, Siege 2. Under Siege 2 is the train. Sorry. Yeah. I only saw Under Siege. Yeah. You're, and I only you're remember off. the part where the he's lady jumps out of the, the cake. cake. Yeah. He's a chef, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, if I yeah. remember correctly, he's a he's chef who kicks ass? Yeah. Okay. Well, he was Secret Special Forces. That was just kind of like chilling as a chef because, you know. He was on leave or something. He's a talented guy, that Steven Seagal. And by talented, I mean he's an idiot. Yeah, he knows how to make a ponytail. No, he really doesn't. (laughs) His hair is really quite awful. (laughs) It's uh, it's actually one of the most disgusting things next to Trump's hair. It's like, it's really the one, it's where you become so, uh, you have no self-awareness at all. Like you look in the mirror and you really genuinely think that looks good. Crazy. Yeah. Well, you kids might not be there yet, but there he reaches a point in a man's life where he just kind of stops looking in the mirror. Sean, you're not <laughs> you're not spray painting your head. No, because I don't care. Good. <laughs> he's still obviously looking in a mirror if he's spray painting his head. That's what I mean. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Sorry. All right. Point taken. I want to make like an Art Nouveau documentary about him called like Stephen Livingston Seagull. Just... Mm. Really mega. Yeah. I really don't like him. No? Well, he also- No, he's he's a bastard. He's yeah. a horrible person. Yeah. Isn't he a cop? Yep. 
He'll show like a uh, deputy or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. him a, and Kamala Harris, man. Yeah, and Shaq. Don't compare him to her. I was just just saying Kamala Harris is a cop. Don't say that. I know. Black her up. True, she was Attorney General. No, she sent innocent people to jail and laughed about it. Yeah, and it pisses my dad off when I say that. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Why? Because he's a cop. Yeah. <laughs> Probably something to do with it. <laughs> yeah, you know, might have a thing or two. Yeah. Cops are all pigs, Dad. Yeah, full cops, dude. <laughs> um, do you think this movie would be viewed differently if you grew up in the South? You didn't quite grow up in the South, Tim. <laughs> Missouri's not the South. It's close. Missouri's not really the bad? South, and I, I also like. I was born in Northern Illinois, mm. and so I kind of grew up around that. Which, like, oddly enough, that's still a pretty racist area <laughs> looking at it um but uh no i don't know i just never i was i never really got into that stuff did you feel uncomfortable at any point in this movie because you were rooting for the confederates no not really i just <laughs> i mean it's a movie man you know it, and it was the 20s i i questioned buster keaton's like choice to make this a confederate story mm-hmm. and like a really positive confederate story yeah Making them all look like heroes, uh, I, I, you know, I questioned that, but like I didn't personally feel uncomfortable yeah. during this film because it was just kind of a, it was a madcap chase, you know, and and some of them were wearing blue uniforms and some of them were wearing gray ones, you know, but it wasn't really like a Confederate war film, yeah. right? So like a big game of cops and robbers. Yeah, I pretty think, much. Yeah, I think it, almost like the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's the backdrop. It's not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just madcap shit. Yeah. I mean, but that, to be honest, it's a little more than good, the bad, and the ugly because he's working for the Confederate. He's a spy for the Confederate, an unofficial spy. Something yeah, kind he of, wants to be. He's a one. He's not a spy. Yeah. He's, a, he's a spy, though. He's, you know, he sabotaged the train and he's tracing after the other guys. And yeah. Is this the first war though. movie that we've watched that isn't anti war? Well, we watched, uh, what's the Ballad of the Soldier? Uh, it's. Not that is that one the one that's kind of bad? Yeah, the yeah, Soviet no, propaganda. No, that that yeah that. Oh one, yeah, that one that's had right. War's dick in its mouth. That's true. But, yeah. Uh, Other the others, yeah. Yeah. That so that goes First against American movie. Yeah, you, people <laughs> yeah. always say like every war film is an anti-war film. Yeah. I don't agree. Yeah, we definitely no, we got two. No, now. I wouldn't say so. <laughs> I, yeah, there were also a slew of movies in the '90s and the 2000s yeah. and uh, the yeah, 80s I mean, and the 70s. Yeah, I mean every wartime there's war propaganda movies yeah, like that is yeah. you know. How we do things, especially when we got rid of the draft, you know, we got to fucking bolster those ranks somehow. So, yes, somebody's got to fill the bags, man. Yep. Um, there was a couple of the recently too. There was um, what was the one that was shot all on five Ds that just had all uh, non professional actors? Oh, was actors. that um, uh, actual Navy Zero Seals. Dark? No, the uh, taking of Pelham one two three. No, it's, <laughs> 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 no, but it was the train one, right? <laughs> Throw mom from the train. No. That's a great movie. Oh, with the Navy SEALs, where they're all not actors, and it was terrible. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the name of the movie. Uh, do you guys have Tweet any other- if you remember. Errata. Errata? No? <laughs> let, me, let me see. Okay, I want to well, see, well, I wanna well, see what the biggest- uh, let, me, let me ask you then, because this- this Injuries. On this uh, okay, well, while you're looking that up, work. let me ask you guys this question. Yeah. Um, I noticed maybe I'm being, you know, Mr. You know, hippy dippy lefty liberal wokey guy. Um, I hate saying anything like that. Sorry, but um, I noticed there was there was no, uh, you know, there's no black people, there's no any persons of color, no slavery. This is a very whitewashed version of the South. Um, 
it, 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 I didn't quite notice it all the time until quite like the end of the movie. I'm like, oh wait, yeah, there's no slavery at all. Um, which is always a big problem for me whenever I see any civil war movie. Um, because yeah, they just gloss over it. It's just glossed over. So I completely agree. Like I, I identify as, as a lefty hippie kind of, you know, whatever you're on the left. We're saying, yeah, yeah. I'm a radical leftist. Uh, no, uh, but uh, we also have to appreciate things for the time that they were made in. You know what I mean? I and understand. So, yeah. Um, and I, I totally get it, but I think that it's okay to look at least back with That's some sort of- That's not to say that we should watch fucking Triumph of the Will and be like, oh, the cinematography, but like, you know- Which we kind of did with Tiefling. Hey, the- Tiefling. Yes. That one, Lenny Riefenstahl. Yeah, Lenny yeah. Riefenstahl's Tiefland. Yeah, check that episode. Yeah, Not back in that yeah. one. Yeah, our guest Annalise Morrow. But I mean, it does add to the to the. Okay, it would change the movie if there was slavery in this film. Yeah, yes. if there was. Okay, if simply when he was running down the street to when, sign up for the Confederate the, Army, if we saw a slave in chains, yes. that's a big deal because that would juxtapose. Oh, sorry, eat a drink. drink. Juxtapose. Uh, that would juxtapose slavery right with signing up with the Confederate yeah. Army. That would be yes. a really awesome statement by the director. Well, that was probably step one to making the South feel sympathetic. <laughs> I agree. Yes, and I'm just trying to point that out. I guess. Yeah. No, but I agree. I, I think there is a way to do it. No, they could have done that. They yeah, could have done. They that. could have done yeah. that. All it would take is just okay. Here's here's a guy walking down the street and chase. But that would not have been acceptable in that in those times for that audience. I don't know. Would they have? It'd be very subtle. It would be just like kind of an extra walking in the background. Yeah, that's true. I suppose. Um, I don't know. I think that kind of thing. I is, sound it's, very yeah, backwards. I, I, yeah, I don't know that there would have been a lot of outrage about these things. Like this just wasn't even like a well-regarded movie at the time. Like it, it had a huge budget and basically bombed at the box office mm. and wasn't really accoladed until much later in its life. I think there's a difference between uh porch. Acclaimed. Uh, sorry to, I'm going back. I, I heard your point, but I'm going back to no, my no, earlier thing. I think there's a difference between simply like putting slavery in there just as the backdrop versus like, uh, like which probably would be unacceptable for that time would be having a, a black character who was a hero. Yeah, which would be you know later on and hope you know. Like, yeah, you wouldn't have been able to make the most expensive movie in history. Right. With that. I'm just you know I'm just be, be honest. But the thing is, you could still have it you know just in the background so we understand that slavery existed in this movie. Slavery doesn't exist. That's why. Yes. Bob, yeah. Yeah. I totally understand that, but like. Buster Keaton loved trains and he loved a story I about know, like a chase train chase and like he wanted to make a comedy yeah. and they and just it, started putting in slavery. The like, studio had like, the, the, they spent like $500,000 on this movie yeah. in that era. I don't yeah. know how much that is, but if you can buy a fucking really nice car for 782 yeah. bucks, $500,000 is a lot of money. It's the studio would have been heavily yeah. involved, you know what I mean? And so like they probably would have had a little more trouble getting something like that. Yeah, without a doubt. Greenlit. <laughs> okay, uh, any other thoughts, comments, questions, gentlemen? Any other wrap-up? No. No? No. This movie was just, you know, fun. I mean, a, a, a scant 78 minutes, you know? <laughs> yeah. It really did fly by. Uh, Sean, any other? Nothing from you? Yeah, I mean, it was it was just a jolly little romp. and Not a deep thinker. Yeah, exactly. Great stunts. A, a very, you know, surface level story. Shockingly of, clever. Yeah. 
it was, you know, it was definitely more modern than I expected. That is kind of the, the one. I think it was like, I like, I would use timeless more so than modern because it's just like, you could just, you could put it anywhere. Yep. How would you compare this to duck soup? I would compare it timeless. uh, (laughs) Like duck soup is not timeless. (laughs) If, if I had seen both of them, I would compare them. Oh, right. I guess that was more to Sean. Um, so I think that Duck Soup, just quickly, uh, they out Marx Brothers, the Marx when Brothers did you guys watch, Sean. When did you guys watch Duck Soup? And when was that one? Man, uh, it was a couple weeks ago with, with Derek. Oh, maybe I'll have to go onto the Fawcast Network. Where could I, where could I find that uh, episode? You could find all of our wonderful shows on the Fawcast Network at uh, fawcast.com. That's fawcast.com. Or you can hop on over to patreon.com slash fawcast if you'd like to donate to the show and keep this lovely train on the tracks. Yeah. Every time you donate, I get smarter. Give us that sweet, sweet cash, guys. We need it. Yeah. That paper. Also, uh, you can go on through that uh, Apple podcast app. That's how I listen to our show. Well, I want to say one thing about the Marx Brothers because I feel like a lot of these scenes, Buster when, Keaton. When was that uh, filmed? Um, I think early '30s. I'm going to guess '32. Yeah, just real quick, uh, I'm going to interject. Uh, according to the inflation calculator that I found, the five hundred thousand dollars in 1926 would be approximately seven million dollars today. So, Are you fucking serious? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was still like the most expensive movie at the time. There's a fringe industry. Yeah, true. I mean, they blew up a fucking bridge. Yeah. That's got to cost something. And sunk a train. I guess it was easy to build a bridge back then. That's true. It's like, you, hobo, build this bridge. True. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Duck Soup was 33, by the way. Yeah. Anyways, um, I think that they're, just Buster Keaton, the way he does his little vaudevillian stuff is cute. For instance, the ending. Um, It was wonderful. Like, it really was perfect to me. The, The way that he was able to simply just combine the sweetness of, of kissing the woman, like, you know, the trophy kiss, obviously, mm-hmm. which is really cliche, and still have a funny moment that was heartwarming. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't too cheesy. Yeah. I love that, that he kind of mixed the kind of the sweet and the sour. Well, there a was bit. a real brain behind a lot of the comedy. Yeah. What do you mean by that, though? Give me an example. Uh, I'm struggling to think of some of the uh, specific bits of particular cleverness. What was, because me and Sean both pointed out a few together do you mean just the way he kind of reacted in some of those like his facial expression no because he he was just really involved with the production so it was like not not so much like uh like just his performance but just the 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 way that the performance was structured and the way that the comedy unfolded. that's true i mean let's just take the ending the way that yeah. they had to they cut back and forth right first there was one guy who walked by and he had to salute him and mm-hmm. then there was another mm-hmm. guy who walked by I had to absolutely salute him. and then all of a sudden we get well you know whole... it's it's a sketch man you know yes. how do you end a sketch you just make it as ridiculous as possible mm-hmm. until it can't get any more ridiculous and then it's over um and this whole movie like i said earlier seemed to me like an endless kind of or like a, like an extended sketch comedy. And I think that's kind of why you're thinking of Jackass quite so much too. For sure. It is well, very, oh, sorry. No, I was no. just going to say, there are a lot of those like constructed and sculpted gags that revolve around it, um, his, like his characters. 
I don't want to say buffoonery, but almost naivete or obliviousness that like Uh, he's just doing this thing and like the world is still going on around him regardless of the decision that he's made. So like there's this moment where he's like throwing extra timbers onto the back of the the train and he's trying to load them up and he stacks up like four or five doing this like fucking uh, uh, Scottishman fucking pole pole toss thing or whatever. What do they call that thing? Whatever. Um, Rock toss. No, it's not. Well, it's part of the rock toss thing. But they I got that whole thing where yeah, they- we've seen it in Braveheart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Either way, he throws a bunch of these big logs up there. And then like the fifth one throws all the logs back down. Yeah. And then he gets really mad and throws it over the cart. And then, you know, it's just kind of like his own things kind of escalate. I, and he causes his own issues. But then like- randomly luckily solves his own problems. Like when he loads the cannon that's attached to the back of the train and he loads it up and he gets the angle. And then all of a sudden it kind of gets detached and bounces around. And now the cannon is pointing directly at him and he's like, Oh fuck, what do I do? But it just happens to be in this turn when the cannon goes off and kind of fires towards the bad guys and everything is fine. So like there's just a lot of those moments where it just, he has uh, the timing. I completely agree. I think he has this Mr. Magoo quality. Yeah, right? that's the thing. Where, where fate kind of, you're right, just follows him around and yeah. he lucks into these little circumstances. And it is so endearing. I think actually you were talking about that that timber scene where he throws the pieces of wood back onto the train is so essential because mm-hmm. it tells us he's kind of a doofus. Yeah. He's kind of a bumbling fool. Mm-hmm. And the more he tries, the kind of more he fucks up too. So even though he is this like, because if he was perfect, it would be more boring, yeah. right? He would just be Superman. Yeah. But I love the fact that he kind of like, or when he, even when he like, he runs away from the fire and his and he falls on his ass in you know in the little hole on the top yeah. of the train. It's just like cute little moments like that. You realize, yeah, he is human, and obviously it's planned, but it it's it does make it so much more empathetic of a character than if he just literally was perfect every single mm-hmm. take in and out. Well, and I think one of the things that like really endears us to him as the character is that beginning when he goes to try and sign up to join the military, oh, and yeah. you know because we know that he is actually not allowed to join the military because he's so fucking valuable as what he does and he's already a bigger hero than anyone else you see on screen because of the knowledge he has running this train but he's the only one that doesn't realize like how great he already is and that just kind of like stumbles into this whole you know well his girlfriend doesn't realize it either yeah yeah, true that his fiance is a real piece of shit uh, well he beats her (laughs) <laughs> yes, he does. That poor lady. That poor, like, actual woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah she, I mean, she's been brainwashed to believe that she can only fall in love with a Confederate soldier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and, true. And then she's paying yeah. for it. Yeah. That's how you get beat. It's a harsh tale. Seen it time and again. <laughs> One other thing I did remember that I want to bring up is the, um, uh, just visually, I was surprised when they went to blue. Uh, there were like two moments where the actual tonality of the entire color of the film changed from this sort of black and white sepia the entire time. And we got to night scenes and they were dyed blue. Mm. And that was, that's like a very old school process where you can't put individual colors into things, but you can dye the entire film strip one color or something. So that was kind of like our first, you know, day for night, essentially. I just wasn't expecting to see any color shift in this. And I thought that was pretty, pretty, uh, at least noteworthy, if not interesting and amusing. Was that Mm. when there was that lightning storm? 
the lightning storm was yeah right around there and that's when the other kind of uh noteworthy the um the, you guys remember the lightning strike yeah <laughs> yes. it's like yeah. it always looked like some sort of south park cookie like, it re- kid cut out a lightning it reminded bolt me and- of uh, it reminded me of this old like mother nature butter commercial that i would oh, see geez. on like tv land because i i would watch andy griffith with my mom and it it, uh, it had a, a woman who played mother nature and she had like lightning bolts striking around her that looked comically like that just mm. really bad but it reminded me of that I know. yeah yeah that 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 specific moment stood out a lot as like kind of weirdly cheesy but i kind of got where they were going and you know there's only so many ways they yeah. could have done that with the technology yeah. you know i always try to judge stuff like you know like on the merits of what they're able to do oh at yeah the time, totally you know what i mean yeah, I mean to hold things up to today, today's standards is just unfair. Yeah, exactly. So I do it all the time. I know you do. Yeah. Anyways, um, we hate it. That's okay. You're allowed to hate it. <laughs> so, um, bitch. speaking of what you're allowed to hate and love, mm-hmm. Sean, we're going to actually finally review this thing. If that's oh, okay fuck. with you, have, so we've we been doing that for the last. Well, hour and you know, half? our final reviews, <laughs> our, our rating scores, a summary, a rating. A, so, uh, Sean, what would you rate this film? Oh fuck me, man! This is. Oh, Jesus. Am I going to do this? Shit. I don't know that I can. I got to go four and a half. You were debating five? Yeah, man. Like, it is on the edge of being, like, that fucking good. Um, Especially just unexpectedly good. I did not expect to enjoy a silent movie this fucking much. Um, I don't know how many more swears I need to throw in there to emphasize how much I fucking like this movie. Um, it was just an enjoyable character that was like, not, not even stupid and like just lovable and, but like identifiable and someone that you wanted to see succeed, but you also wanted to see not succeed just that little bit. Um, and everything else around it is just so like perfectly executed that I don't know, man. Yeah. Four and a half. I think that's the highest I've given anything. Um, yeah, I, I, I have trouble disagreeing with anything you say there because it- Ever? Well, uh, <laughs> I tend to agree with you more and more, which is very disturbing. Um, I'm brainwashing you. But the thing is, I think the, it's as close me, to man. a perfect film as it's going to get. The only thing I could fault it for is no dialogue uh, or no- <laughs> and, is that really allowed? Can I fault it for no. that? No. The only thing I can fault it for is the fucking format. Some of this black and white bullshit. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's so, a color movie. Yeah, why don't they make it in a time machine? So Sean, Wizard of Oz did you color. take points off for when it has subtitles. So yeah. I feel like I'm allowed to take points off for when it's... Okay. Yeah. yeah, no, you can do whatever the fuck you want. And, you know, you guys make fun of me and I'm like, fun of you. No, I'm actually going to do it. I'm going to give this a 10 out of 10. Wow. Uh, I, I really do think this is perfect. Yeah. There's Obviously, again... I I do think there's issues with not showing slavery, but, but uh, you know, that's apart from that. From a hundred year later perspective of morality. If we ignore that fact, it is a perfect film. The character is unbelievably empathetic for literally saying almost nothing. Mm -hmm. um, He's amazing. He's fun to watch. Being a goddamn Confederate. (laughs) He's not just fun to watch. You can't take your eyes off him. Okay. 
at all. Yep. Just him walking around, him jumping to the front of a line is glorious. Yes. Like just jumping to the front of a line. Well, like, and jumping up on the table yeah. and yeah. running across. You're right, like, I'm underselling physical it. Physical comedy is yeah. fucking amazing. It's just out of this world. Um, and it you is. don't really see anything like it. I'm sure we're going to watch maybe some of the, um, what's the safety last guy? Harry. Oh. Um, Harry. Oh, God. Harold. Uh, Harold Ramis. <laughs> God damn it. Please look it up. But also Charlie Chaplin too, the other guy. Well, I have, yeah. oh God, I can't believe it. Harold Harry, Lloyd. It's Harold Lloyd. Thank Houdini? you. Whatever. Oh. He's very similar. And what's funny is Houdini was n- new uh, Buster Keaton. They mm. were friends or wow. kind of grew up with him. Well. Anyways, uh, that's how they trained. They also grew up in that vaudeville scene. So I think um, not only that, the story is great. It's historical. It teaches you something about the Civil War. Like just the idea of putting yourself in the position of a Confederate soldier is valuable in in, in this times. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. And the value of just taking a a very good historical story that's actually true makes it so much better. The fact that you're seeing all the stunts makes it so much better. Um, Everything works i can't there's no boring moments the, uh this the ending leaves you feeling happy and <laughs> i know that's weird it's just like really a warm feeling it's nope. a feel-good movie but it's an action movie um and he gets the girl it's ha- you know it's, it's yeah i don't know it's 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 really i can't find any faults that could have been made in the it. late 90s yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes it's it like true lies of the mid-20s yeah, totally. that's really true it is very much true, true lies. lies brew up a, yeah. a tiny bridge though which i loved that movie's great. Fake bridge. Bullshit. Whatever. <laughs> There's a lot of similarities. Yeah, no, very much. Yeah, so. There are. Yeah. There are. There are. Yeah. Yeah. Arnie was doing a lot of his own stunts. Yeah, he's a spy so, who's kind of wearing, you know, the, the plain clothes. True, true. Uh, both Arnies were doing their own stunts in that. Arnie. Tom Arnie. Tom Arnie. Yeah, Tom, <laughs> Tom Arnie. <laughs> <laughs> he had some great lines in that he movie. He did, man. You can't fault the Arnie. Yeah, the ice, the ice cube tray thing. Yeah. <laughs> Classic Tom yeah. Arnold. Uh, so, but, uh, Timmer. Who does number two work yeah. for? We're going to go to you. Oh, goodness. What would I rate oh. this? You know, I thought about actually rating this on a, on a numerical scale just to, just to spice Ow. shit up. What's wrong with you? And then I thought that this movie I would rate as sitting down in a comfy chair and then discovering that not only is it a comfy chair, it's a recliner. Oh, <laughs> I love and, that feeling. And you're, and you're like, oh, shit. And, but there's something really important that you should be doing that you're ignoring while mm-hmm. you're enjoying this recliner. Mm-hmm. And that's the, race, like the racist ignorance <laughs> of this film. Okay. But like, it's a really comfy chair. <laughs> and it's surprising because you weren't expecting it to recline. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. makes sense. I think that's a great review. Yeah. yeah. Great rating. Um, gentlemen, do you have any other recommendations before we leave this podcast? Good gravy. What oh, would I recommend? Man. First of all, I recommend this goddamn movie. Watch this movie. Yeah. If you, if you yeah. didn't already, Honestly, which like, yeah, you should I would be recommend before it. you're listening to this yeah. shit. But. Buster Keaton's a looker. I wasn't expecting him to have such an yeah. enigmatic yeah. face. He's like, he, he, he looks like he would be a great character actor. Yeah. He's a little you Christopher know? Walken-y. Well, he also, little... he grew his hair out for this yeah. role, which I think gives him a little more charisma. Mm. Um, He's got than, the Leonardo DiCaprio from Titanic haircut. Hmm. Yes. Yes. We always I don't know. He kind of looked like a like sort of a Jekyll-y kind of character to me. Well, hmm. after a little while, he got a little yeah. sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that sounds Or like the scene where he's under the table and just yeah. dripping wet. Have you guys seen Benny and June? Yes. It's fine. 
Yeah, I kind of want to watch it again just because of like it's. Eh. I do, I haven't seen it since it was. I out, remember really like, enjoying it, but yeah. like. Yeah. I don't. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I just kind of want to see how he compares now. Like now that I've seen the the master, mm-hmm. I want to see what the the imitation looks like again because I remember it being okay, but like now I think I'm going to judge it with new eyes. I'd rather watch Gilbert Grape. That's a good point. Um. I want to recommend the Jackass movies. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to recommend that too. You know what I'm going to recommend? I'm going to recommend you to go to Bam Margera's Instagram because I've been watching this dude melt the fuck down for like weeks. This is kind of sick and twisted that I'm like enjoying it. A little bit. Hmm. And I feel bad and I'm sorry and I hope he gets better. Do you? But uh, he he just like, I don't know, he blasted it. It's like like an episode of Jerry. I'm sure a lot of it's been deleted at some point, but Hmm. I'm sure you can look it up. So I recommend looking into that if you're looking for a little. Uh, well, he was on Doctor Phil. Little too. fresh. See, that's the thing. He like he's all strung it on uh, like different drugs. I guess he's doing meth and like drinking a lot, and he's just well, losing I think it was Adderall, but losing his shit. What? I think it was Adderall, but yeah. And meth. Okay. I don't know. Maybe. And can math. Can I one sure. without the other? You seem to no, know but either him. way, uh, uh, I was looking through some of his posts because uh, I was tuning into this whole fiasco. And he was pretty much begging Dr. Phil to get in touch with him. And so Dr. Phil's team reached out because they smelled money. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so true. Like they came the next day yeah. and everyone was yeah. like, oh, he's so nice. He's so nice. And you're right. Yeah, it's just, like he smelled uh, money. Come on. Wow. Like, uh, but uh, yeah. Should've so that, Dr. that whole bit is interesting. I'd like to see the Dr. Phil show uh, about it, but uh, I refuse to pay for it. Mm. Um, I'm really a big fan of Steve-O. I, I, uh, he's now, doing okay. Steve-O now. He's doing good. He's Steve-O got a dog. He's very smart, underrated genius. I'm going to be he's, honest. He's he's moderately smart. I no, wouldn't no, say no. In his own way, he really is. He's, yeah. got, he's got a very nice perspective on things. Um, yeah. Obviously, the way he's been through sobriety. He's doing really well with like finding a way to make a career. Like uh, he knows himself, which is really I like seeing a celebrity who's very aware, self-aware, yeah. and and uh, I like that he's like all about helping people now. He doesn't like you know he's very much uh, you know he's animal rights oriented. He's a I don't know he's a good dude. I'm I'm, I'm proud of. Uh, it's interesting because you can you watch these guys grow up with you. Isn't it, yeah? Isn't it weird the kinship that people in our generation feel with those guys? Because you you literally go through trauma with them. You watch Steve-O <laughs> cry. You watched Bam Margera literally cry on camera when someone threw uh, snakes in that pit. Uh, <laughs> uh, he literally said, "This is like the biggest. You watched the biggest fear of his entire life. Like that was his worst moment. So, yeah. if you want, if you go through something like that, it's it's almost like you're with a podcast. You know, you're with them so often, so much, you feel like you're best friends with them. Man. So, I think just seeing them grow up uh, is is yeah, it makes it all the more wow. So, when you see you know Johnny Knoxville fall down, it's not just some random dude. It's mm-hmm. oh my god, I, it's Johnny Knoxville." And, yeah, you know, you grew up. So I think that's really why I love the Jackass films. Um, they wouldn't be that great if they didn't have that camaraderie with each other. So, uh, in that sense, is you know, they're, they're good characters. Yeah. Anywho, yeah, I would <laughs> recommend. Uh, I would recommend probably the British History Podcast. Oh, you know, shocking, hosted news. by none other than Jamie Jeffers, and also you know, uh, go out and listen to Trout Mask Replica by uh, Captain Beefheart. Okay. Jesus. You it's know. a great album. It's a great fucking wow. album. You know, it's a good record. Go out uh, and listen to that. And- I really only know Captain Beefheart because Mark Marin does like a huge bit about him in his stand up and like Oh, does he? Yeah. I haven't like, seen any of Mark Marin's stand up. You don't Maron's know anything about Beefheart. 
That does sound like something yeah. that a person that uh, is really into beef heart would say. Yeah, it seems to be like one of those cult things where like yeah. you're either really into it or you yeah, never heard of like it. Like flannel gatekeeping pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> Mark Maron exclusively has flannels. Uh, he's like Superman. He probably has a whole closet full he's of flannel. flannel gatekeeper. Yeah. I aspire to that level of flannel. I have, a, there. I have L- a lot of flannels. LA is there. too hot for flannels, man. No, it's not. Now it's getting not it's cooling off. Fine it's, sweating. Sweating. I, it's been so humid. I just I've been sweat. sweating my ass off all it's week. About to be, it's about to be fallish. I hope so. As much as it's ever anything yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. The seasons don't. You guys season. ever get tired of that? Mm, that's why we move. LA is a five-year town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I would like to recommend Blues Breakers with Eric Clapton. One of my favorite well, albums, 19, <laughs> 1965, uh, John Miles Blues Breakers. Man. And it's the first album we really hear a Gibson Les Paul through a Marshall amp. You can't even hear the sadness. What sadness? What? What do you mean? It just all hadn't happened yet. He had everything, but like everything was ahead of him, you know? And yeah. you can really hear it on the record, I think. Free heroin. Yeah. Uh, anyways, amazing album. Check it out. Um, it's another, you know, blues, you know, blues rock, but blues mixed with some, you know, some style of the 60s. Yeah. Uh, again, the first time we really hear a Gibson guitar through a Marshall amp, the classic tone of of rock and roll. Yeah. We don't realize Clapton was so popular that they literally wrote Clapton as God on every, you know, not every, but a bunch of subway stations in London. I thought Lemmy was them. God. He became Lemmy God. Lemmy is God. Yeah. There's multiple gods. Let we me live in a God. polytheistic world. What kind of religion do we got here? Mm. Yep. Uh, Tim, yes. is that it for the, our recommendations? We recommend all the other podcasts yet? Uh, text well, Before Calling, I literally, rec- literally. Yeah, I would recommend <laughs> tuning into Text Before Calling. It's a pretty entertaining one. I'm Go back in the catalog. Find the featured. Malort episode. Yeah. Mm. It is a good one. It's, classic. it's classic. Find the one where I play with the dolls from the Malort episode. That actually is that that was a fucking great episode. <laughs> it got very meta, but it was, it was really funny. was great. Yeah. No, I was trying to look up a a, a band that I was listening to. Um, to are, are you guys, talk about? Are but, you guys watching the Righteous Gemstones on the HBOs? I watched the first episode because people like a lot of people have told me to watch yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. Not a fan? Uh, no, it's 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 good. You know, mm. it's good. It's. Uh, it's Danny McBride doing Danny McBride. So like, That's I really, true. if you don't like that, then I really yeah. enjoy it. I just can't do a whole lot of it at once, mm-hmm. you know? So That's uh, what's nice about the HBO weekly release. You don't have to main vein it. You can fucking. True. True. Yeah. Main vein. I'm, a, I'm you're a fucking child. Sorry. I'm talking about drugs over here, not just, whacking off. Real life tee I tee heed. I tee heed. How often do you tee hee? Well, that was a purposeful tee hee. Yeah. Um, but do I you would have say like once a tee hee time? Once a week? Every day? Once a, well, wow. Maybe one, once every few days. He does do a natural tee hee. I do tee hee. On occasion. Yes. That's I'm fucking it's great. It's in my vocabulary. It's almost like his equivalent of the laugh snort. Uh-huh. I don't think I've ever heard him snort, but I have heard him tee hee. No, uh uh-uh. uh. You'll get there. I mean, I'll get there. There you go. Either way, uh, we also didn't. Plug going down on South Park, literally literary, Paul Tinkering, Fallcast.com, Patreon. My Twitter is J O E B O N I E R. If you go Sean? to Fallcast.com, you can also uh, pick up some fine merchandise. I yeah. drink coffee out of a Fallcast mug every single day, and mm-hmm. it's fantastic. I got a sweet t shirt. It's great. It's the, the coffee mug's a great size, too. Which Makes is cool. coffee taste better. 
It does, you know, and it's white, so it's easy to keep clean. Really, mm. you know, you can see those coffee stains. Yeah. Easy to scrub. It's kind of like my car. I never kept it clean, and then they got it detailed, and now it has to stay clean. My older mug had a smaller handle, too, uh, so I could only put three fingers in there, mm. you know? You know, Ayo. doesn't it suck when you can only put three fingers in there? Like you were going there. Yeah. <laughs> no, but there. Uh, uh, this one has a wider handle. Nice. nice. You should buy this mug. No. Listener. Wire hangers. Meryl Streep. Buy this mug. Funkhouse.com. Yeah. Slash door. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.